My definition of art is using your passion to inspire emotion in someone else. And for me, that's kind of like I can use my passion for the ocean to inspire someone to either like to love an environment that they thought they were kind of just indifferent of or or maybe they had fear of something and I use my passion to just overwhelm them with all these amazing facts and having just an enjoyable time and then instead of being fearful of this experience they were they enjoyed it and they were excited and thrilled and I think that that's um, yeah to me that's the the definition of art or my definition of art using your passion to kind of inspire emotions Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. I just want to say thank you to you, the listener, for being here. This podcast is intended to encourage, inspire, and entertain. The guests of this podcast are digging deep and putting it all out there. And without you on the listening end, it would not be the same. So if you like what you hear, hit subscribe and share it with someone you think might be into it. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. And with me today, we've got one very special guest and then four guest hosts. So this is very exciting. My guest hosts are all LaCroix. We've got Sweet Haley, my lovely fiance, and then Sweet Haley's mom, Cindy, Sweet Haley's dad, Mo, and Sweet Haley's sister, Kelsey, Guys, thanks for being here and helping out. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, and then who we have on the hot seat today is our new fiance and the family here, Billy Arana, who is uh, fucking awesome in lots of ways, and I can't wait to introduce him to you guys and show him. So, Billy, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, hello, everybody, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Definitely. Um, this has been a long time coming. We've uh, had a lot of fun times in the past, and we've had cool stuff to talk about, and now it's finally happening. Um, why don't we start out, Billy, by you telling us uh, 
in terms of your work in your life as well you'll tell us all about it but like what are you most into right now right now i am most into uh like personally exploring and getting out on the ocean and the water and then also in terms of my business is getting other people to explore and spreading that passion i really have my whole life had a deep connection with nature and that is something that i'd like to try to bring to other people and inspire them to have con deeper connections with nature than they originally would and it's really where yeah that's what i'm really into right now getting people back to nature yeah and so this podcast is about making a life from your passion uh why don't you tell everybody about what you're doing and what your passion's all about um so I started a business called North Pacific Adventure, and that is a ecotourism uh, business where I take people out on kayaks in the Pacific Ocean, um, located in Northern California on the Mendocino Coast, uh, where it's kind of a more rugged coastline, um, and a place where not that many people get out and explore. And that's, like I was saying before, just directly lined up with my, uh, with my passions and interests and is a really fun way to combine both what I do for my job and my passions. Yeah, and your dad's a fisherman, and so then that is really like what led you down this path? Yeah, so, uh, when I grew up, um, from the time I was four years old, the only thing I wanted to do was go fishing with my dad, and he's a, he has a small commercial fishing boat. He fishes for king salmon and dungeness crab, and at four years old, was, before that, I wanted to go on the boat. But at four years old, my mom was like, okay, it's okay. You can go out on the boat. And I'd be really, really small. I'd sit in, like, the cabin of the boat. My dad had... The cabin was small enough that maybe two adults could stand up in it. But there was no space for them to move around. And my dad would just set out a little sleeping bag um, on the little deck of the cabin. And I could just... If I got tired or something, I could just kind of lay down there in the sleeping bag. Even though there was, you know... No space for an adult human to lay down. Just a tiny little, tiny little spot. Um, and from that point on, I was in the ocean, on the ocean, exploring the ocean. Uh, but definitely, starting at a young age was super helpful for me because I got to learn how to be a human. At the same time, I got to learn about the ocean and the coast. And I kind of grew with that, and my passion grew with that as well. Um, and... I've always I've always been around the ocean. It's rare to see me like leave the ocean for a, a period of time, um, but it's it's definitely a special place. And my dad was a huge influence in that, not only with fishing, uh, but also with surfing and diving and hiking along the coastline. All of that kind of came from an early age and has never stopped. Yeah, yeah, and it's sweet because. We all went on a trip to Baja with you, the four of us, and uh, it was so cool to see you like completely in action because we were, you know, you guys were going out on the kayaks and then we, you took me out snorkeling and we were like diving under the water and you were spear fishing and it was like, it was really cool. And then you, you like walked out into the ocean and then we're like finding crabs with, or what were those that you were finding? Clams. Feet? Pismo clams. clams. Pismo clams. And, like, that was dinner every night. Yeah. Um, you know, Haley, Kelsey, you guys are with me. That, like, what did you think of that trip? 
Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, I mean, we tried to go out and get clams, and we didn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> we found nothing. <laughs> I had no clams. And then also getting the lobster with the spear right. was crazy. It just There's so much um, that Billy brings with all of his skill set, and it's just incredible to watch somebody at their craft with it. It was really amazing. I was blown away by every aspect of what he caught and how he did it all. It was really cool. And Mel and Cindy, you guys got to go mm-hmm. on, on the, a kayak trip, right? Mm-hmm. And you got you guys fished. Yes, we did. I, uh, even though my fish, however small it was, wasn't <laughs> captured on film. Oh. <laughs> and my lovely wife, it turns out, we caught the caught a, a longer. So she had a, yeah, we had a lot of fun. The girls reeled that day because yeah. Kelsey caught a big one too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we shut off to the guys. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Billy did bring an aspect of, to the ocean of exactly what he's what he's talking about uh, all the history and details and you he brought a, a real appreciation for the the ocean and the landscape and it was interesting and i can see where people would really uh, enjoy that kind of thing yeah along with catching fish which i'm learning to do and really enjoy so it was a real match made in heaven i was really excited to get out there and and take the fear out of yeah. the whole yeah right how big and grand the ocean is you know when you're when you're outside of it you're thinking oh my gosh but when you're with Billy he t- keeps it really safe and you feel very comfortable and safe. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's great and Kelsey you spent the most time out there with him <laughs> yeah yeah I, and you keep coming in, back definitely yeah growing up in Vermont it's been a process to learn about the ocean and accepting like my fears of the ocean and learning with Billy for sure like learning how to surf was a big one because that feels like very little between me and what's in the water and I didn't even know I was like in the ocean because Billy was just keeping me entertained and making me laugh and just feeling like a great time yeah learning how to surf and forgetting where where I was enjoying the beauty of it all yeah Mm -hmm. and so for these trips that you're taking people on where where are they coming from usually um so the people coming from all sorts of like different backgrounds and kind of like different places generally around the west coast um but some people are coming from as far away as the east coast and coming out and and going on trips and that is a really cool aspect of it because every day is a totally different kind of tour even if the tours name and description are the same it's always adjusted to who's going out on the water because some people have maybe more experience and they can go to a slightly different place uh, just because of their ability to kind of pedal or paddle a little quicker or even kind of surf at a they've had a bunch more experience surfing so they can kind of surf in a different location Um, and that's awesome because you can kind of make each day the best day for the people that you have out there. And there's so much potential on the ocean. It's such a huge place. <laughs> you can have 365 days in a year and every single day, the ocean's gonna be a little bit different. And you can always adjust for who you have going out there with you. And that's kind of a great part about it. For me, that keeps me very entertained too, because there's no repeti- there's no repetition, really. Even if you are giving a similar tour it's different every day, what you're going to see and who you're going to have with you. And that's that's an amazing part about it. Yeah. I think it's really cool how you're like so hyper-local there. Like you know the landscape 
the the geographic landscape and then like the underwater landscape like you know where all the canyons and everything are and like uh and you even know the history of it right like the like yeah. how it was all formed yeah i'm based out of a little tiny town called point arena and i grew up in that area i left for a while to go to school came back um but growing up in a town with a population of 400 people you kind of get to know everyone and then the history of the area is is pretty small it's a pretty young place um the history really kind of goes back to at the latest the gold rush so it's kind of more like 1850s would be the earliest people who were there uh before or the earliest kind of like european settlers and before that there was over 10,000 years of history where the pomo people kind of controlled that whole land and um that's something that I like to always bring back to at the start of every tour, is kind of addressing that, where the original people who have been here were the Pomo and their ancestors. And when they were there, it was a totally different place. So back to what you were just saying about the underwater structure, um, about 6,000 years ago, the sea level, or from 10 to 6,000 years ago, the sea level rose about 300 feet, and that's it's kind of leveled out where it is today. But if we went back 10,000 years ago, the sea level was 300 feet lower, and the terrain would have been totally different. Uh, and that's always um, kind of a cool thing to picture, that's just changing sea levels. We've been around for a period of time where it's been pretty stable in terms of like all of our history that we have recorded and things. But it wasn't always like that. Um, and then just growing up on the coast uh, and spending a bunch of time out in the water, I have been able to use a lot of technology like depth sonar and, um, and GPSs and just all these like kind of older charts and all sorts of different things to really get a, a, a solid knowledge of the terrain underwater um, and not just on land where you can see it but, but deep underwater all throughout the area and that's extremely helpful if you're going to go on uh, a fishing tour, um, you're going out there fishing and a lot of the fish that we fish for are really based around certain types of structure underwater. So whether it's rock or sand, and I'll bring technology out there with me, but a lot of times I really don't need it, and sometimes I don't even bring a sonar, and I can go exactly to the point where there's a rock and say drop down right here, it's 100 feet deep, and sure enough there's a rock right there at 100 feet deep and there's fish all around. That's a, a part of just lots and lots of experience thousands and thousands of hours on the water memorizing just for fun and then it makes it really easy cool yeah <laughs> nice and then do you have you taken your dad out on one of these tours yet i have yeah that's always pretty funny he's always like ah kayaks i really like the boat <laughs> um, but no he goes out there and he enjoys it and then he'll always, he's like the worst type of guest you can have on a tour. He's the kind of person who, uh, they're like, I know exactly what I'm doing, so I don't need to follow the tour guide. <laughs> and, and he'll just veer off and kind of do his own thing, and you're calling for him to come back, and then he's like, I'm going in, and you're like, what? <laughs> and, and he just kind of does his own thing, but he does still have fun when he goes out. <laughs> That's nice. Does he catch fish while he's out there? He definitely does catch fish, and then he'll try to tell you how and other people how to, oh how to catch the fish, which is generally good advice. Um, sometimes it's kind of repetitive. You're like, if you would have been closer, you 
probably would have heard I said that. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's a good time. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Nice. And then uh, what's it been like setting up the business around this concept? Yeah, setting how, up. How long have you been like officially set up? Yeah. So I've been officially set up for um, almost two years. So this will be I'll be going into my third year starting. Uh, this coming April, um, and it really started from working as a well, building just a lot of knowledge on the ocean. That that's kind of the first and foremost um, in terms of setting up the business was a whole lifetime of experience with the ocean, and then I worked for a few different companies around the country doing different kinds of guided tours and lessons, and always felt a desire to do more. Um, while I could like excel as a guide, there was always things I wanted to adjust each place I worked where I thought that something could be done a little bit better or maybe it was missing this. Um, and as I used guiding as a way to travel around the country and live in different places, um, I kind of eventually went back to Point Arena where I grew up and realized that no one was doing any type of ocean guiding uh, job at all and I had after traveling around I had the experience on how to be a guide and the knowledge on how to do that and I had the from beforehand the knowledge of the area and then that whole life experience around the ocean and I realized that I should start I should start a kayak guiding business and I just kind of went for it I sat actually at home a lot and wrote out every single piece of equipment I would need and I had all these like notebooks and things of everything I need and a website and how to do that. And then I bought a domain name which is npadventure.com for North Pacific and I, uh, I bought that and then built my own website with uh, WordPress just kind of figured out how to do that. And then I had that and then I bought all of my equipment. And then there's pretty much nowhere else to go but to start getting tours. Lined up my insurance and started giving tours. And right away, before I really had anything set up, somebody had already found me on the internet, which I thought was mind blowing because I, I had I had nothing. I had no no way for people to really find me. Like someone had to almost search and Google me directly to find it, but someone did and they called and they were like, Do you have availability? for a tour for two people in the, like three days from now. And I was like, um, <laughs> let me check. And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've never even had a tour. <laughs> I definitely have availability. Am I ready? And, uh, and then, and then I was like, I just got to go for it. This is what I, this is what I, wow. this is what I did all this for was to have these tours. And then, uh, told them, yes, absolutely. Got all their info. I didn't even have like, <laughs> an online booking system. I just scribbled it all down on a notepaper, all their info, got everything, downloaded Square on my phone and got their credit card info, put it all into there and charged them. Trip went through. Everything went great. Um, And that first trip was kind of nerve-wracking, actually, Mm -hmm. because the kayakers had some experience, but they weren't super experienced. And they had never been fishing and it was a little windy. Mm-hmm. And we got out there. They were super happy when they showed up. It was kind of a beautiful morning, little breeze. We got out on the water. We went out. It was kind of windy. 
it was actually one of just one of our rare not good days of fishing and they each caught a couple fish which in my mind i was like oh boy that's really bad you should be able to catch way more than two or three fish a person and they got to the beach and they were so excited they loved it they, they were like we've never caught fish like this before and they cooked it up and they sent me photos of the meal they had and they were super happy and i kind of realized that my vision of fishing is definitely not everyone's vision of fishing mm-hmm. and that was a big like learning point and made me feel a lot more comfortable moving forward because i was like okay it doesn't have to be necessarily like the perfect day every single day but you can make that tour into the perfect day mm-hmm. for kind of the people that you have or whoever you're with and that was really cool and that was kind of the starting how it all how the business all came to be and, and then the first tour cool. yeah Anyone have any thoughts about anything? That's exciting. I can just imagine the excitement going into your first first trip, meeting the people, then to have that kind of a reflection on it is because uh, then it just gets better from there. I would think. Yeah, every company I've worked for that like first tour you give as a lead guide was always kind of nerve wracking, but I would say it was even more for my own business. Uh, or whatever it is, even though maybe there you've got other people watching you even, and you're, it's, there's already a whole f- structure and framework on how your tour should go, and if you div- deviate from that, it's probably worse. But with my own tour, where I I you know spent a lot of time kind of designing how the tour would go, but and had done some practicing with friends and stuff, but then it always changes when you have clients in the water with you. And I was super nervous you know, when they were showing up, and then it just kind of went away once I got into the water. Cool. And I was like, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. We're here in the water. Mm-hmm. You got awesome. into flow. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I'm just imagining it kind of like the way I do custom art projects for people. It's like I was, I'm trying to feel them out to see what their intention is for their artwork. You know, is it like the style? Is it the impact? Is it the this or that? And I feel like you're kind of doing that same thing with your gut, with your tours. So you're like, are you, are you trying to fish here? Are you, do you want to see some beautiful views? Are you more, more historically based? You're yeah. trying to like feel out the client. Yeah, I sometimes we really direct with that. A lot of days, well, every day, I'll, I'll ask at the beginning of our tour um, before I even like get into how to use any of our equipment, I'll ask what is your goal for today? And you'll get some huge, a huge variation in goals. And that is so helpful because then I don't talk about something. I can talk and talk about like the waves and the scientific, the science behind how the waves are formed, where they're coming from, traveling thousands of miles across the ocean. I could just bore you until you fall asleep if that's not what you're interested in, or if you're interested in it, you're super excited. But I can go and go and go about things. And when that person kind of says, this is my goal, this is what I'm interested in, then I'm like, oh, perfect. I can talk a lot about that and you'll be interested. And then it makes it way more enjoyable for them too and myself. Yeah. Uh, because if I'm talking and I don't get anything back, I really don't know, are they, do they like this? Do they not like this? And they might find it interesting, but they don't answer. But if you can find that piece of information or that, that thing that sparks someone's interest, and then you can kind of find the things that branch off of that. And make them not just interested in the seal that they really, really wanted to see. And that was kind of like the main reason they went out there. Just to see maybe a harbor seal. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. 
and then you can start to explain the seal and in detail and then spread that to the seal and the bigger picture and what they rely on and all those other things in the ocean and how interconnected everything is yeah and i what is, it's ecotourism that's what you're that's what it's called so yeah like, is that i guess i could see that being like how it spreads into like you're really educating people and like teaching them about yeah that's absolutely everything. like kind of the the main goal um, is to not only like give a quality tour, but to inspire people to be environmental stewards. Because at the end of the day, I feel that that's kind of the most important, one of the most important things right now is to have a sense of responsibility and stewardship over the environment because you can kind of walk all over it and trash it and take things from the environment. But if we don't give back to it and kind of help protect it, or nurture different parts of the environment. Mm. We're just degrading it. And um, with fishing, there's a huge kind of, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of different views and opinions on fishing. Um, you know, whether or not fishing can be sustainable, but then also telling people that, you know, there's a, there's a limit. You can have 10 fish a day, 10 rockfish, which can vary from, from like two pounds to 15 pounds. And you can have 10 of them a day as your legal limit during the season, which is more than anyone can really eat. If you could go out every day, that's a lot of food. It's also not sustainable to go out and catch 10 every day. So that's something that I kind of like to work with people on. Do you need all of these fish? If we leave them today, there'll be more tomorrow. And especially, and the hardest one is with big fish. So with certain species of fish, the bigger fish are better breeders. So a small fish might be able to produce like a thousand eggs, but a large fish could produce 500,000 eggs. So it's not a, it's not a linear relationship with fish size and the amount of eggs. It's almost, it's more exponential. And sometimes people will catch the biggest fish they have ever caught. Um, maybe a, a lingcod, that's our most common one, which is this big kind of leopardy it's a brown teeth with kind of leopardy spots or, or huge teeth big dark brown fish um, and they can grow up to be about 40 pounds in the area where we are and maybe be 40 inches long so they can be huge huge wow. fish and the bigger ones of those are almost always female it's extremely rare to find a male that's longer than about 30 inches and I always try to have people let them go. Um, and this is right back to that like ecotourism thing and promoting envir environmental stewardship. Because if you let that really big fish go, she can go back and she can lay half a million eggs. And then we have half a million baby lingcods swimming around next year. And if she's there the next year, that's another half a million. And it just, the growth is huge. There's a lot of fish that can come from that. A lot of people don't want to let go the biggest fish they've ever caught, or even just the biggest fish of the day. And I always bring a digital, a waterproof digital camera out on the water, and I take photos of that fish. They've got photos. They can prove to their friends that they caught it. Um, but still, that's kind of that's the place where I really um, I like working in that moment, trying to convince the person to throw the fish back. And more often than not, way more than not, it works, and people throw back. And not only that, but they will brag about it to the people on the beach, which I love. Because then you know that they actually grasped the importance of letting it go. And 
they will spread that to other people. Oh, when they're like, I let this fish go because it was really big. That's cool. And it's going to make a lot of fish in the future. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I feel like... Oh, go ahead. No, I just... Uh, when I started fishing as, as a young kid, we always just kept them trout, right? We were keeping them and keeping them. And then one of my best friends uh, started, he was always releasing the trout. And it, it was really hard for me to get into that mode of letting things go. And now when I fish, I, I seldom keep anything. I didn't realize the concept, but it does make a lot of sense that the female being larger, that it would have more eggs and it, it produced more and more babies. That's uh, that's a good lesson learned. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like you could uh, you could say to them like, if you really want to be friend, like get the locals to like you, you put those big ones back. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you know, then you're not taking from the local environment in the same mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's definitely less impactful if you put that big one back. Cool. Okay, so now talking about the ones that you don't put back, um, you're a very good chef. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> on that Baja trip, I was very lucky to be surrounded by three awesome chefs, mm -hmm. and like all the food was incredible. Why don't you talk a little bit about the concept of like cooking these meals of these like fish and things that you, you get from the ocean? Yeah, well, like... The going out on the ocean, fishing, surfing, diving came from my dad. Cooking, definitely from my mom. She's a, a fantastic cook. Um, she used to bake wedding cakes professionally and other like pastry type things. And from the time, again, I was a little tiny kid, she always wanted us to help in the kitchen. And then we really wanted to help in the kitchen, like me and my brother. Um, like it would be, as I don't know, as soon as I could use a knife, we'd get the dull knives. But we were allowed to like chop vegetables and put them in the pan, which was always like, as a kid, you're like, oh, this is awesome. I get to chop the vegetables. And then you kind of like upgraded to now you can use a real knife, like a sharper one. You're like, ooh, yeah, I'm chopping these things. <laughs> um, so that was, a, that was a cool move on her part to get me inspired to cook. And then, um, and then as I got older, then I would just cook kind of more and more and cook with my mom. She would teach me how to like, how to spice things, how to season things, how to do all this stuff, how to cook different things, different ways. Um, but I really do like cooking seafood. I'd say seafood's definitely one of my mm -hmm. specialties for cooking. And, um, yeah, there's just, it's, there's so many different types of seafood and so many diverse ways in which you can cook everything. And I, I don't know if I have a favorite way, uh, but probably my, one of my favorites is like the Baja style fish tacos. That's one that we had when we were in Baja. It's like a classic classic thing to make so simple and just everyone who eats them is just blown away they're like these are the best tacos i've ever had i can't believe you're making these mm -hmm. yeah yep. they're amazing <laughs> <laughs> and kelsey you're your sous chef right next oh yeah you guys are, well you guys are co-chefs yeah we collaborate pretty well but the baja fish tacos is all billy he's got his own little recipe that i've Kind of no, but I feel like I'm missing an ingredient and he won't tell me it. So. Oh. <laughs> it's yeah. just all by feel. I, I take yeah. I take flour, baking powder, have that in a bowl, and then in another bowl I take some some bouillon, whatever type you like, or like a better than bouillon, the paste kind, and then a bunch of oregano, some chili powder, maybe some chili flakes, uh, and then the secret ingredient. Hmm. You're going to give it away? Yellow mustard. <laughs> yellow mustard. I don't know why. Oh. I don't know why. But 
you put yellow mustard in there. If you don't have that, brown mustard can work. But yellow mustard is the is the classic way. Mm. Um, and then you pour in a little bit of beer and you mix all those kind of wet ingredients together with those with those seasonings. You mix that up until it's just just dissolved. Then you pour that in your flour baking powder mix and. Then you just add in a beer until it's full, and you fold it really gently. You don't want to mix it up really hard. That makes your fish and your fish fry part all kind of hard and not flaky or puffy. And you just fold in the beer until it's like pancake batter. You chop up your fish. You dry it out a little bit. You throw that in there, and then you have your pan of hot oil, and you throw those in. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And you Yum. top it with your favorite slaw and hot sauce, and you are good to go. You'll impress anyone with it. And it's super simple. You can really, like, you can't really mess up that recipe. Yeah. You don't have to measure it, really. You just kind of, like, throw some stuff together and go. Yum. It was so good. All the food that we ate the entire time, it was amazing. Um, and then you won't really eat seafood out at restaurants. Huh. Yeah, a lot of times... Why don't you talk about that a little bit? So, that definitely comes from growing up with fresh fish in the house at all times. And then also, seeing how fish is handled most of the time. A lot... Um, and this is where I would say, like, if you're going to eat seafood, you should try. If it's possible for you, if you live near the coast, try to buy directly from the fishermen. Um, and you can kind of see the fishermen. You can see how they treat their fish. The best way I like to uh, kind of, like... Comp- pair fish to other food you would eat and you might not really have thought about this before but like if if someone's going to like get a steak or something or you're gonna go the cow is probably um like never left like on the on the ground for too long after it died it's kind of been kept a little better a little cleaner um no one was really stepping on the cow after it was like partially butchered or anything Mm -hmm. but with fish it can get pretty bad with how the fish are caught so for starters, if your fish wasn't caught with hooks, um, it instantly goes into a category of like almost really low-quality bruised meat because it was probably caught in a net, and that net probably holds about 10,000 pounds of fish. And if you got the fish on top of the 10,000 pounds of fish, it'd be an all-right one. But the odds are pretty slim that you're going to get that fish out of the net. And if you get the fish off the bottom, it's been smashed by 10,000 pounds of other fish and is more like hamburger now. Um, and not kept very well. And then some fishermen will leave fish on the deck of their boats for uh, an absurdly long time. That'd be like just taking your steak and leaving it outside. You're going to grill it, but you're going to leave it outside for a few hours on the de- like just on the on the ground on the deck beforehand. Um, and then you remember that it's out there, and you take it and you put it on the grill. Oh. Not really the way you want to do it. And a lot of fish is handled in a way like that where it's it just left on the boat for a long time and it's kind of getting old and not so good and then it's processed and packaged up and um and it's like fishy fish and i think that's why a lot of people don't like seafood huh. because they haven't had good seafood huh. if you go into a supermarket and you smell the uh the like by the deli you smell the fish hmm. probably not good fish to eat mm-hmm. fish shouldn't smell like fish um, if it smells like fish, it's starting to turn. And that's why I'm super picky about fish, because I've just, I've seen the way a lot of people handle it, and it's disrespectful, not only to, like, the people who are going to consume it, but to that animal. Because to take an animal from the ocean, harvest it, and then just 
take its like high quality and just kind of degrade it by not keeping good care of it the whole process until it gets to someone's plate is a huge bummer and i i don't really like that i definitely try to yeah eat fish from fishermen i i talked to and i saw that they're like oh nice they have really clean boxes and bins and everything's iced really well and that fish is really good a good way if you're just at a store and you are trying to look for fish or even buying fish from a fisherman look at the fish's eyeballs if they're crystal clear fresh fish kept cold kept very well um not bruised if the fish's eyeballs have turned foggy or almost white it got warm it's either getting really old it, it's been bruised so the eyeballs are a good way another way uh, and this one works really well with fish like salmon uh, those like silver chrome fish with the red meat they lose their scales when they bump into things and if you can find a salmon that has all of its sails so all of its scales so it's bright chrome that salmon was kept really well that thing was not beat up someone took their time to gently move it from place to place to clean it to process it keep it fresh and like put it onto your plate but if you find a salmon that's kind of turned dark gray and it has no more scales that salmon was beat up and some people will they have these like kind of like a wwe wrestler move where they take this like big hook called a gaff and they gaff the fish in the water and they slam it onto the deck of the boat and then they jump on top of it and hold it down and and you're like whoa that's like you wouldn't do that if you had like a leg of lamb or something you don't take the leg of lamb swing it over your shoulders and slam it on the ground and jump on top of it and it's like that's not what you do with food and it definitely doesn't respect the animal um those are just kind of like a, the reasons i don't generally eat seafood unless i know where it came from and who caught it but i definitely will support like other local fishermen in places i go go and see what they're catching and what they're doing and look at the stuff and in some places you go they don't have ice and it's not possible for them to use that like in baja it's there's a little bit of ice but not that much and you can see how the people there are like doing their best to take care of the fish as nice as it is and you can still see that it's fresh and it just came off the boat and it doesn't smell bad and you're like boom i'm getting that fish from you you guys did a good job so kind of circumstances can i think change a little bit on where you are but as much as you can buy fish from fishermen it also there's like a huge this year in the uh the dungeness crab industry the commercial fishing industry for dungeness crab uh there was this huge kind of uh issue where the fishermen are getting paid two dollars a pound for crab and that's extremely low they generally get somewhere between four and seven dollars a pound for crab and then the middleman marks that price up a little bit so he was taking he was buying them for two dollars a pound marking the price up probably doubling or more his profits and then in the grocery store this year if you bought crab until just recently um you wouldn't have known that there was a difference in the cost of crab mm -hmm. it was still selling at some grocery stores for 35 dollars a pound to the final consumer um and then it, it eventually dropped a bit now it's probably more cooked crabs like maybe 15 dollars a pound but the fishermen don't make that money and they're the ones who do most of that work so the fishermen goes out they kind of risk their lives out on the water they have to invest all of their money into essentially like traps to go catch the crab and fuel to get out there and the it's winter so the weather is rough and stormy and then they make almost nothing on the crab they get they kind of like just do a little bit 
better than... I mean, they're doing more than breaking even, but they're not they're doing well for themselves. Um, and then the middleman does all right, does pretty good. They're still making what they normally make, whether it's a bad year for the price or a good year for the price. And then the stores make just the same as they always do. So buy crab or salmon or, or any type of fish from the fishermen because it helps them out a lot. Nice. Wow. That's an interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And it's like a market that nobody really thinks about, but these Absolutely. are definitely important mm-hmm. elements. Yeah. yeah, the best way to do it is to go, just go to where, go down to your local harbor, ask where the commercial fishermen are, because you can always find like a harbor master or a little, like a dock attendant person. Um, sometimes even if you go down to the harbor and you'll see a little billboard or a little like signpost where people post things and you'll see that there's a fisherman that sells their stuff. Or maybe you'll just see a truck parked on the side of the road with big boxes that says fish for sale. And uh, they're, usually, they're usually somewhere around the beach or around the harbor great spot to go also just a beautiful place to walk around and explore the coast enjoy your afternoon on the water or near the water yeah sweet mm-hmm. thanks for that yeah that's that was great um does anyone have any thoughts that they want to throw in here at this point that was really interesting to you know to look at your the fish at the record for us and uh, in the East Coast, we're not really close to our harbor for mm-hmm. fishermen and all that. So going to the grocery store and looking at uh, looking at some signs and how to know it's a fresh fish and how to enlighten mm-hmm. yourself. Thanks, thanks for that education. That's really cool. Yeah, that's true. What do you have any recommendations for resources for people who don't have access to fishermen mm-hmm. straight from the dock? Um, yeah, I mean, going and you can always ask the like the butcher in a del- or in like a store where the fish is coming from. They might not always know, um, but they can tell you when it came to the store. They can, I mean, you can generally ask them to like kind of shuffle some stuff around. If if you're buying fish fillets, um, you want to ask for the one that's not on top of the ice, but maybe buried in the ice. So that's another thing in a, in like mm. a fish market or the place in the, in the store where you see it, they almost always have ice with the fish. Mm-hmm. And you want that piece of fish that's deep in the ice because that's, going to be colder than the one that's just sitting on top um and then also with if you're buying fillets of fish fish have all these kind of like layers in their fillets uh in their meat it's it's really kind of layered or flakes it's called flaky i guess when you cook it um but you want to see that those kind of layers or flakes are tight together not starting to pull and open apart so if you see them starting to pull apart and open up a little bit that fish has gotten a little bit older it started to relax a bit more and isn't as fresh. Um, so you see that fillet that looks kind of seamless. That's a good sign. Um, and then if they've started to, to kind of turn a little yellow or a little brown, that's an indication too of it's it's just kind of a little bit of an older cool. fish. But ask them, ask the ask the person in the deli or the butcher to when did you get this? Where's it from? What type of fish is it actually? And and then ask them if they know how it was caught. Okay. Was it caught with hook and line? Was it caught with traps? Was it caught in a net? And that'll kind of give you a little bit more info on it. I'd be interested to know how much the butcher will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They and they probably won't have all of the answers. No. Um, but you can always ask. Yeah, it doesn't no, hurt to ask, good. and they're not going to be offended if you're like, asking questions. Sure. And if they are, then maybe there's a better place to get fish. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing would be, 
you ask those kind of questions, then they'll start asking those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you can like influence like we as a population can influence the market to, yes. to be better. By asking those questions. Right. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll do start doing that. Mm-hmm. You heard it her heard it here, folks. We are gonna <laughs> influence the fish market. That's right. Good job. <laughs> One podcast at a time. Uh, all right, you ready for the question section? Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, question one. This is a new question. Uh, I guess it kind of works here, but... Okay, so I'm going to switch it. So, where in the world and what time period would you want to take do a fishing trip? And I'm Ooh. thinking you can take current... Like in the world. technology and like a fishing boat and whatever, like all your current gear, but like what time period and where would you want to go fishing? Really good question. Um, there's an amazing book uh, written by Callum Roberts called The Unnatural History of the Sea, and it has all of these firsthand journal accounts of kind of like white explorers going through in Europe and then the New World, and it would be amazing to go back even to like 1600 off of where I fish off of Point Arena and just for a day be able to kind of like fish and explore the coastline then before it was just heavily impacted by people and overfished all over the place and before all of the rivers and things were dammed because the amount of life in the ocean then would have been absurdly large compared to now and yet now we have what we call lots of life but our baseline has shifted and if i think we went from 1600 to now we would be shocked and disturbed and we probably wouldn't be touching anything out of the ocean but i'd love to go back to that time and wow. see before mm-hmm. humans really started impacting it negatively mm-hmm. yeah totally yeah. yeah, all the dams and the everything, like the way that we've influenced everything. Mm-hmm. The percentage of rivers that are undammed is is like shockingly low. We dam everything. All the wa- we we stop water from flowing to the ocean. Um, in California, that can be kind of controversial because currently we're in a huge drought, and every drop of water that's saved on land can be really important. But naturally, every drop of water that rained on land made it to a river and, and wasn't evaporated flowed into the ocean um, and as water flows into the ocean or even as it just flows through the mountains it erodes soil it erodes the banks uh, nutrients from leaves that are decaying on the ground flow into the rivers and they wash into the ocean and that nutrients is one of the it, it is the largest way in which the ocean gains nutrients right. so um, we know everyone, it's pretty commonly known that if you don't fertilize somewhere where you're growing crops, you'll run out of nutrients in the soil and you can't grow anything there. Essentially, like that's kind of like part of what happened in the Dust Bowl time. Ran out of nutrients because of poor practices. But if we stop all the water from flowing to the ocean, which we, we currently stop a lot of the water from flowing to the ocean, or at least slow down its flow. Um, so it doesn't erode as much. It doesn't create as much kind of nutrients uh, diluted into that water or uh, saturated into the water. And those nutrients don't make it to the ocean. So we're effectively cutting off the fertilizer to the uh, kind of California coast 
And along California's coast, we have some of the most kind of like active upwelling waters in the world. Our green waters are full of life. If the water is blue, it's actually pretty void of most life. It might have a lot of diversity, but it doesn't have the biomass. Green waters are full of plants called phytoplankton, and they produce oxygen. They produce most of the world's oxygen, and by cutting off our waters flowing into the ocean, we kind of cut off the fertilizer to those plants. Mm. And that's kind of scary. Um, so there's kind of the two sides of like, do you save the water and land or do you let it go? But if we go back to 1600s, there were no one, there was no one damming the rivers and all that nutrients was making it to the ocean. And that's the very start of the entire food web in the ocean and is extremely impactful on land as well. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, maybe that leads into the next question, which is where would you like to see things be in five years? Ooh. That is a good question. <clears throat> um, in five years, I would, uh, I would love to see people starting to recognize the importance of, of giving back more to nature. Uh, recognizing the, the ways in which we have really negatively impacted it without necessarily realizing it. Um, water is water is a key thing all over the place uh, and a really hard thing to deal with. But it would be nice. I know the Klamath River in Northern California has this, has the set of dams called the Iron Gates, and those are scheduled to start being taken out this summer, which is amazing. Um, and that'll be huge. And there's already a lot of, not a lot of cases, but a couple cases where dams have been removed and salmon populations have gone from near extinction in those rivers to thriving populations in a matter of 10 years. Mm. And that's a part of, because salmon have a four to five year uh, lifespan and they can recover really quick once they have rivers to explore. So I would really love to see some of that and more people just kind of wanting to to connect with nature and give back to it yeah sweet um okay now uh question three this is advice so we're talking people that listen to this podcast they're creatives of all backgrounds um you know all kinds of different arts and then all kinds of things that aren't traditional arts. Um, so for these aspiring creatives with a capital C, what would you say you think the most important thing to focus on is? Your passion, really. I think that if you focus on what you're passionate about, no matter what it is, you'll be able to do like a uniquely quality job in that passion. And it also will continue to motivate you to keep moving. Because if you, if you lack the passion, but maybe you think that this is a good idea, you're going to burn out on that. But if you're passionate about something, and it doesn't matter what it is really, and you focus your energy into it, it'll be all the energy you invest will push you towards not just your passion, but whatever it is you're, you're trying to achieve. You know, whether that's your, your job, you're taking that next step to, to quit your job and, and start creating what it is you like to 
do. Um, that was probably the biggest thing for me was just deciding not to, even though my education really helped me move to the direction I was, but deciding to not try to use my degree to get a job, but to use my education and experience, which was all kind of in line with my passion, to create my own thing. And just creating. When you create something, you can enjoy it and you can adjust it. Make it your own special thing. And enjoy it while you're doing it. Yeah. yeah. And go for it. Just do it. Because if you wait, you'll just keep waiting. <laughs> yep. Nice. Ah, maybe some like little snap yeah. for that one. That was really good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now this is gonna be a fun one from your perspective. Um, the final question is: What is your definition of art? Ooh. Boy. This is a tricky one. You have to answer this one correctly because. <laughs> you know someone. <laughs> My definition of art is. Well, I think it would be using... It's not my definition of art. Yeah. It's, it's your definition yeah. of art. <laughs> using your passion to inspire emotion in someone else. Mm-hmm. And I, for me, that's kind of like... I can use my passion for the ocean to inspire someone to either... like To love an environment that they thought they were kind of just indifferent of. or Or maybe they had fear of something and I use my passion to just overwhelm them with all these amazing facts and having just an enjoyable time and then instead of being fearful of this experience they were they enjoyed it and they were excited and thrilled instead of feared and I think that that's um yeah to me that's the the definition of art or my definition of art using your passion to kind of inspire emotions mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, totally. And that's where, like, what you're doing, and, like, well, with my art, making paintings, you know, I'm always doing exactly that. And then, you you know, I take a look at what I made, and then I think about, okay, how can I improve this the next time? So every painting I start on is, like, a fresh approach to, like, you know, achieving the, the intention, and then, you know, you're doing the exact same thing. Every tour you're taking is like another crack at it. And yep. so like every day is a new piece of art that you're making. Yep, absolutely. The ocean's a great medium for that too because it's always different, which is, which can be tricky. Some days like, ooh, you're gonna make it hard today, but we're still gonna do it. Um, and other days, you don't actually have to do anything. The ocean is just already the like art masterpiece and you don't have to touch it. All you have to do is not mess up. <laughs> just yeah, just embrace yeah. it. Yeah, just open your eyes and look around and say wow. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> cool. Love it. Well, um this is the part of the podcast where I thank my guest for being on. This has been a long time coming. We've had different trips where the timing just didn't quite work out. We had the microphone, but it was too much. We we're all having too much fun <laughs> to like sit down and do it. And now we got this little little time window. And um, Billy, it's been awesome getting to know you. The Baja trip was amazing. I got to see you do your art firsthand and like sort of be like, you know, your assistant in some of it. And um, yeah, it's awesome. I'm excited to see where you go with it. As, uh, as your art develops. 
thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been fun talking today, and just all the all the time and experiences we've had, and moving forward from here, lots more to come. Nice. Damn right. Sounds great to me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be part of it. Yeah. Um, okay. So where pe- where can people follow you and check out? Your tours. Yeah, you can uh, you can check out my tours at uh, npadventure.com. So that's NP for North Pacific. Uh, and then on Instagram, North underscore Pacific underscore Adventure. Uh, that's, where, that's where you can find us. You can book a tour, ask questions, just look at cool photos. We do take photos at every single trip. So there's a bunch of cool ocean-related photos if you just wanted to get an idea uh, for, for what we see and kind of like our art out there on the water every day on our yeah just check out our instagram north underscore pacific underscore adventure and this is in mendocino county which is north of san francisco by a couple of hours yep yep just a nice drive up the coast two and a half three hours and you find this beautiful little coastal town called point arena and it's it's a place to explore whether you're just there for an afternoon and you're going back to the city or you want to come stay a little longer. Wonderful place. Nice. Cool. Um, all right, well, we're, about, we're going to take a break. Before we do, uh, hit us with some off-the-cuff wisdom. That's really awesome. No pressure. Um, off-the-cuff wisdom. What do you have left? It's been pretty, it's been pretty, <laughs> pretty good stuff already. No, I mean, go, go out and explore. You know, Just go somewhere you wouldn't think of going on your own. Just like... Pick a spot, randomly, go check it out, and uh, find what, like, what interests you in that place, and enjoy it. You know, whether it's like go to a desert or go into a forest. It doesn't even have to be far. You can just go into a park, go in a park, sit at a tree, look at the birds that come fly by. Go just go outside and explore something that you haven't before, and see where that takes you. Because you never know. You might just sit there and be bored for a minute. Or you might have a really good idea, have a great time, and also find that you're surprisingly relaxed and you've been stressful. That's my little bit of wisdom. Nice. Go outside somewhere new and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Break time. Man. Nice. Part two is brought to you by Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, California. This place is my favorite coffee shop on the West Coast, and the coffee is the best. They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee-making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at SteadyStateRoasting.com. This is exciting. Yeah, this is really exciting. Um, Should we start with the cheers? Here's to an excellent podcast and to an excellent uh, fisherman. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. The artist. The fisherman artist. Excellent. What do you think? Buffalo Trace. Eagle? Wow. It's... Not Russell. Oh, I am surprised. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. <laughs> Where'd you go with? I, I went with the Russell, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Taylor. Russell. I mean, it's interesting because it's liquor fresh like that. It's right. Yeah. 
It would be, yeah, if you had them all lined. That'd be tough. I mean, I feel like they're all pretty similar. Other than the eagle one. And even that was... I mean, that was his number two guess on this one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, true. Tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. All right. Well, uh, we're doing a little taste test. So here we are. We're back. And uh, we've got some refreshments here. The whole scene has changed slightly. The women left to go get donuts and fresh spring water from the geyser (laughs) up the road. So it's just us guys. That's right. Mo, Billy. And uh, Mo, what do you have in front of you? Turns out some Russell's 10, which is uh, one of our favorite bourbons, as it's turning out to be uh, a go-to. And uh, some Mass Verde out of White River. Uh, River Roost brews it, and it's um, it's a non-filtered uh, IPA, and it's really good. It's probably my favorite IPA right up there. So, yeah. What are you drinking? Um, I went with the E.H. Taylor dead. bourbon, yeah, fits. which is uh, actually Buffalo Trace makes that. And um, and then Billy, you went with the Russell as well. Yeah, I have a Russell Ten, and then the uh, the Moss Verde, two excellent, excellent drinks. Yeah, we were deciding should we pour whiskey or should we pour bourbon for this or should we do beer, and we we're like, why not do both? <laughs> yeah, both were on the table and both went into the glasses, <laughs> and now it's all around the mic. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it's all around the mic. <laughs> the mic is surrounded. Yeah, that's right. Uh, um, good stuff. Mo, I was thinking maybe you could just kind of like give a little rundown for the listeners of like what we're doing here this weekend and what it's been like. Oh, wow. Because well, you're the host with the most. Yeah. Well, the Reader's Digest version, uh, we were supposed to celebrate our Christmas in January because uh, during Christmas is too busy. So uh, it didn't turn out too good because in January there's a lot of flooding going on in Mendocino County and they couldn't make it out. Billy and Kelsey were, roads were washed out. So they kind of canceled that trip and then ended up coming to uh, into March and um, it's been great. All the family got together, dodging some sicknesses and a little bit of trickiness there, but it turned out everybody could make it, and uh, we played a lot of bocce, had a lot of great times, food and fun and cards and movies, watched Dumb and Dumber, which was hilarious <laughs> as, a, as a family, as a group. And then <clears throat> then on Saturday, I guess that was a big deal, I'd probably let Billy take it on from there on Saturday while we are uh, playing bocce, we are going to do a group pitcher, and then uh, what happened, Billy? Yeah, well, then um, <clears throat> I uh, proposed to my partner, Kelsey. We've been together for two years and uh, proposed to her in front of her whole family. It was a good time. Super fun. It was pretty hilarious. There was uh, almost a dogfight seconds after the proposal. <laughs> All of it's caught <laughs> on the camera. Right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> no dogs were hurt. They didn't come into contact with each other, but they said some very aggressive words to each other, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The family dog, Ellie, was not happy with that other dog across the street. <laughs> nope. Yeah, it's funny how that is. Yeah. And Kelsey said yes. Kelsey, Kelsey said yes. Yeah, that's an important thing to note there. <laughs> that's, that's right. You saw a lot of jaw-dropping reactions from from the family when it happened. Uh, my my way of life is just, I just kind of roll with things and just kind of go enjoying the moment and um, didn't see this one coming which makes it even better I 
loved it every second. <laughs> and looking at the video that Taylor and Haley put together, thank goodness, caught all that. And uh, <laughs> looking at all the reactions, it, uh, it's pretty cool because we all love Billy a lot and really, really happy that he's part of our family. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a lot more special moments because it's going to happen. Maybe yeah. Baja next year. Yep. And we were trying to leave though because you know you can only spend so much time with Mo. But uh, <laughs> we were trying to leave. We're here in New York right now, just uh, near Albany, New York, just a little north of it. We were flying out of Albany tomorrow morning, and turns out, like Mo said, first time we were going to come out here in January, canceled, big storm in California. Now, here we are in New York. Our flights just got canceled for tomorrow morning (laughs) uh, because of a big storm here in New York. There's going to be a big nor'easter moving in, uh, possible up to 18 inches of snow, which is pretty wild weather always fascinates me and i um might have brought this on by <laughs> keep i keep saying that i want to see a, a blizzard maybe we'll see it well it's cool because you hadn't ever experienced a white christmas before very true which never I've, I've never growing up in, in northern california on the coast no white christmas ever and then if we would have come here in January, it wouldn't have been a white Christmas Correct. either because it was all kind of rainy and unseasonably yep. warm. Yep. And then here we are yep. in March, and it snowed all night on the Friday night before we had our like Christmas gathering. So then it was just white everywhere, and I was like, wow, oh, that's pretty cool. First white Christmas just happened in March. Oh, yeah, and the snow was falling Oops. during presents. Yes, it was. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. It's meant to be. Yeah, and then I, what I love about uh, these gatherings is it's like it, it's like something out of a movie, you know. We got <laughs> like it's like the grandkids are running around all crazy, bouncing off the walls, like playing with each other, like riding bikes around, running into things, and and then um, you know we got like food being prepared and drinks being made, and we're like the you know bocce is happening, and it's like just awesome. It is awesome. Mo, you have four kids. Right. Yep. Four and kids. And then, like, okay. everyone's got a partner, and some of them have kids, and it's like the full boat. It's uh, pretty special. Mm-hmm. It's you, as, you find out that as time goes on, it's tougher and tougher to get everybody together. You know, you guys in California, it's a it's a curveball, and, uh, and then with grandkids, it's, it's like I said, people were getting sick and strep throat and uh, things like that to make it a little bit tougher to yeah. make it happen. But it did happen, and it was worth. Is worth it. It's so much fun. We, it's neat that everybody really enjoys being together, and they realize how special family is. And you know, it's, uh, it's they, how much, how often have you heard it's what it's all about, right? It's yeah. Special family, and we're we're blessed to be proud of that. I'm really blessed to be proud of this. So, so cool. Great yeah. moments. Yeah. One mm-hmm. thing you said, uh, at, like you you said, you know, the the blessing on the food that night, and uh, I feel like you said like. I just hope that all of you get to feel hmm. what I'm feeling right now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh, when you raise a family and you think there's sacrifices, and sure, that there's priorities that change when you have children, right? And you have kids. And But for us, it wasn't, it wasn't really a sacrifice. It was more of um, just having fun. And in, especially when they got to a little older age where, you know, you could do more things with your kids and... Yeah, so it's always been kind of that way, um, and and to 
really, yeah, it's hard to put into perspective. But yeah, I, if there was a wish or a blessing that you guys could have at some point in your life, have that same kind of uh, moment in your life where you're sitting there and you've got everybody in front of you, and then you know all the smiles and uh, all the love and, and just just hard to. I can't imagine topping that, right? It was a very very special moment. So that's that's a hope. Hope you hope you do enjoy it. Nail it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. And then um, one thing I was thinking it would be fun to kind of meander and talk about is fishing. Because, you know, Billy's a fisherman, grew up as a fisherman on the ocean. But then Mr. Mo here, you've been diving in to fishing since. I mean, you got it, you started getting into it before you retired. Right. Yep, I did. Like a couple of years at least. It was a kind of a. I mean, I fished a lot as a kid, but never really took it serious. And just kind of dabbled in it, enjoying outdoors like you did, right? I mean, just enjoying mm-hmm. that all, all part of it. Um, and then I I bought a motorcycle and was riding around with that a little bit and didn't really take off. I didn't really. I, mean, I used to ride a bike when I was a kid, and I didn't, man, the last few years didn't work out. It just uh, didn't grab my attention. So. Sold that and bought a single man canoe, bought a swift canoe, and then my life changed. Then I was yeah. um, fishing the river and learning how to catch bass. And then once you start fishing smallmouth and largemouth bass and on a river, it's it's, it's such a focus because you're 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 flowing down a river, and it's moving quite quickly. You have a fish on. And you've got structure, you've got things to pay attention to, you've got all these variables, and you're trying to land this fish and not crash your canoe or, you know, get into a, into trouble. And so it's it's a real stress relief. It when I was working at Global Foundries, there were moments that you know your your work is pretty stressful. So fishing brought a real stress relief for me, and then being part of nature was was just phenomenal. All the things that I've seen, little baby beavers tucked into a side bank or mink <laughs> or or laying down in my canoe where when a bunch of geese were flying like 10 feet off the water up the river and just staying perfectly still. Um, or beavers, you know, getting towards dusk where a beaver would come out and just slap its tail behind you and your heart would skip a couple of beats and th- those kind of things. So, yeah, getting out in nature, that's... I, I just fallen in love with that and the beautiful thing about fishing is there's just no end to what you can learn there you know i tried targeting a species and that's something i never really did targeting a species of fish and learning how to do that and then now the last year picking up fly fishing tying flies and getting out with a fly rod and learning how to fly cast um that's just been just been phenomenal because in new york ice fishing has been kind of you know, the weather's been kind of crazy so i haven't been able to ice fish which is a real passion of mine too you know one one good week of ice fishing was uh kind of kind of sad so the fly fishing was i could practice fly fishing on a river during the winter didn't have a lot of trouble with finding a spot to fish <laughs> it was good so yeah i love i really enjoy fishing and the billy with the ocean fishing going out mm-hmm. there that was Totally different bottom fishing. Uh, you got to pay attention. There's a lot, a lot going on. So, so yeah, I, I love fishing. I, yeah, I yeah, Mo loves fishing. About. Mo loves fishing a lot. And uh, one way that anyone could tell who sees him is that I don't know. Maybe once or twice, um, but I'm not positive about that. 
but Mo always has a fishing related shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> it is extremely rare currently, or not to, well. yeah, currently. Uh, <laughs> never underestimate an old man who loves fishing and was born in September. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, it's just one of the many ones. Uh, but <laughs> I, that definitely shows uh, he likes his fishing because yeah. definitely this whole time we've been here in New York, there hasn't been a non-fishing shirt. Yeah. Um, pretty you're in trouble for tomorrow, though. I'm out of you have shirts. Shirt. You're out of shirts. You have to go redo. Better get some more. <laughs> <laughs> go redo. Oh, man. But I really did. I like to hear you were saying that um, just those moments you have when you're fishing with nature. That wasn't what you went out there to do. I exactly. Mean, but, it, but it is at the same time. You know, you're, you went to go fishing. And yes. that's what you like when you left. You said to your wife, Cindy, I'm going to go fishing. Yeah. But then there's a lot more to it because you're out there in nature and you're immersed completely. You're yep. trying to like interact with wildlife with your with your fishing rod and your line and you're feeling that connection between you and a fish through that and the way they move. But then at that same time, you're in the wilderness right. and you get to experience all these different things. And yep, that's something that I really love as well. Where just you could be out in the water in the ocean. And you're out there fishing, and you're just floating around, and then um, like a seabird that you've never seen there before right. comes up and pops up out of the ocean right next to you, and you're blown away because that's this rare bird that you really wanted to see, and then uh, you're just you're shocked that you just saw that thing. Or a whale comes swimming by and cruises right underneath your kayak. Jeez. And there's just all these... <laughs> All these things in nature that you can see, or even just, and that's just with like other animals in nature, but just the beautiful, like the scenery around you and the clouds and the views you get from being on a body of water, the colors of the sun as it's coming through the clouds and the sun's getting lower or early morning. It's just, you don't ever really get that. On the coast, I always like to say that the coast has two parts. Um, Half of it is the land and the other half of it's the ocean. And most people that go to a coast only spend time on half of it. Sure. And then fishing is a great excuse to go and explore the other half of it. And when you're out there, you have beautiful sunsets and sunrises when you're on land. But when you go out into the water, you have a totally different perspective of that whole thing. And that's something that's so, so special about going out and going fishing. Because you can't, you don't really get those views from other places you don't get that perspective on the world and you get out there on the water and you were going to go fishing and then you just happened to see the best sunrise you've ever seen and you're just blown away and it was this beautiful magical moment that you shared with maybe your friends who were out there or maybe it was just you and like the birds yeah the fish that are near you and you're just like this is it's such a magical moment and you can connect with nature so well there and then you didn't even catch a fish, and you're like, I am going again tomorrow. That was so much fun. And people are like, you didn't catch anything. And you're like, you don't understand, though. Not even have a bite and not so a, enjoy. Yeah. And like, that, was, that's, that's yeah. a, that was a true test for me. Is Like you said, I went out, fished I, near the end of the season, not even get a bite, and was so happy that I went. That's a good sign. Yep. yep. Good call. Well, and, and then the... One amazing thing about water is that the surface is reflective. When you look across it, it's reflective, but then when you look down, it's clear and you can see through it into it. So, 
um, you know, Billy and I, we have surfing in common and like, that's my experience of ocean, you know, time there. And like, like you said, sunsets and sunrises on the beach are gorgeous. You go out into the ocean and then all of a sudden you're sitting on top of this reflective surface. And so then whatever happens above the uh, the horizon is reflected below it. And like, you know, surfing on the West Coast, I like to go in the mornings, sunrise. So we try to be out at first light and be paddling out. So then you're sitting there in the water and you look back to the east and then the sun rises and then you're getting the reflection of the sunrise off of the water. Yeah. And you're seeing, it's like a full spectrum wow. experience, you know, and that's happening on rivers and lakes and things like it's like yeah. some water is so amazing in like Water a million in different ways very relaxing <laughs> it's very <clears throat> taylor has true taylor has a painting of that dis- exact thing he described the, out <laughs> in the yeah. out in the morning surfing sun's rising and there's a lot of people who do surf art and that one for whatever reason conveys that feeling so well every time i cool like kelsey and i will go there and we'll stay at their house and you'll wake up in the morning and it might be kind of dark still and you look at the painting and as the sun rises and it gets light the painting changes like with the light and the sun changing <laughs> and every time i'm looking at it, i'm like that is it's like the only painting that i've ever seen that actually captured that moment cool uh, that was that is cool. I, every time i see that painting i'm like wow sunrise yeah oh it's so good it's crazy in that moment, in that time before the sun actually comes up, because it's light enough. There's first light, and then there's sunrise. And mm-hmm. unless you surf, you don't like always know about that. Uh, and then there's sunset, and there's last light. And so that window of time when it's first light to sunrise, there's it's like this dusk in the morning. It's like a morning dusk, and um, and then that, and it's cool because the waves are all sort of like neutrally lit. Mm. And then the sun sun peaks, and then all of a sudden, it's like there's a super bright spot on the horizon to the east, and you're like, when you catch a wave, inevitably you're going towards the sun, and there's like a reflection off of it that's really bright, and like, uh, it's like, the, it's so dynamic. And that, I guess that's one thing that I'm thinking about, about fishing that's so awesome, and then surfing also, mm-hmm. and like all, any sort of, any sort of activity where you can be out in nature doing something interesting because it gives you something to focus on there's lots of variables and lots of things to keep track of and then you have this natural beauty and so you get like really surprised every once in a while by something that's spectacular like you're sitting there trying like looking at the ocean to try to see some waves coming and then you look over and then this flock of like 40 pelicans like do a flyby right over your head just like yeah like like the Air Force flying over your head, like that's, or a dolphin just like super close or whatever. It's it's hard to think about the problems in life when you're in that moment. Yeah, yeah. which is so healthy for you. The, the, our brains just need that clear, clear clarity uh, on those kind of things where you're just focused on something that's good instead of being stressed about something you can't control that's bad. You know, it's so healthy for people. Like you were saying earlier in mm-hmm. your podcast, where. You go out into nature and sit down and just and just be present. And if more people did that, they would realize that what it would bring to them. And we, you know, we, we're taking it to another level. 
uh, by fishing or by sharing your art. We're getting to another spot, and that's really healthy. In the world we live in, you really, really need it. Yep. Yeah. Especially, and that's why, like, a daily practice of something that's even, that's even better. positive or, like, you know, we right. whatever, as often as you can do it. But um, mm-hmm. if you can, you know, and that I, that's why I really love starting out the day with surfing or, like, a jog or we take Nova for walks. And it's like yep. you start things in a, in a good direction. The world inevitably is going crazy and there's all this stuff and there's stress and there's challenge and blah, blah, blah. But, like, if you can start with something positive... Or at least have it somewhere in your day. Yep. It makes things a lot better. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. We'd like to have that opportunity where we can do that. There's not anybody, everybody in the world that has that ability, right? There, there's, you know, people are in situations that right. they're stuck in, the, in, the, in yeah. that, right? You know, you're in Ukraine and you're, you know, fighting for your life, right? And here we are. We have that ability and it's it's hard to shut things out that you that you, you worry about. But uh, if, if you let it get to you, you're... It's not going to help. It's not going to be a good thing, especially when you can't control what's that, what mm-hmm. is going on. Right? Yeah, no, it is a very privileged position that we're in, where well, we can we can go out there and and yep. experience something. Yeah. And and maybe you, you went to do you know your surfing or your fishing, and then have that moment that is so unexpected and mm-hmm. amazing. And it's it's a moment that people might spend their entire life searching for, and you could have accidentally stumbled upon it. Mm-hmm. Just by being in that situation, yep. and to be in a position where you can actually go out and accidentally stumble upon those moments is is very lucky. Yeah, we had the opportunity, yeah. and we're taking advantage of it, which is cool. We're, you know, I'm very grateful for every every time I go fishing. I, I always stop and pause, especially on the river, um, and just take that before I even get in, before I do anything. I'm just already thinking. You know, being so grateful to have that ability to do it and not have to worry about a bump going over my head or something or just yeah. their freedom. The freedom to do whatever I want and I get in and I just go nuts. So much fun. Yeah. It is so much fun. You get engulfed in nature and it takes over. Yeah, for you know, Then when it rains or a storm comes up and you're dealing with different elements and it just makes it even better. You just, you know... Oh, yeah. yeah you just... Lo- I love it. I love being challenged... In nature, yeah, storms and weather—that's something that's always fascinated me. Yep. Um, from the time I was, I, probably because my dad was, you know, he was a commercial fisherman, is still a commercial it. fisherman. Weather really was like the key factor in—is he going to work today or not? So he got really uh, good at kind of reading weather forecasts and going through things. And this was kind of before we had all the apps and things we have now where it's just, here's the weather. It was more like reading from a document, what is the weather going to be? Or listening on um, like a handheld VHF weather radio, getting that report and then kind of dissecting it to be like, okay, what is it going to be where we are? Because the report was actually for like 100 miles south and 100 miles north, but we're in the middle. And you have <laughs> yeah. to you have to yeah. use your own knowledge that you've built up over time to make yeah. a guess. That's so I got really really into weather from a young age. There's like one of the this is a super funny home video my parents have of me in like a five gallon bucket that's full of rainwater, and I'm like I'm kind of just like stirring the stick in the five gallon bucket. And my mom asks me what I'm doing, and I said I'm making soup. And then instantly, and I'm I was like maybe three. Maybe. 
Yeah. Um, and then I instantly go from soup to start giving a weather report. <laughs> and I'm like, it's actually going to rain today, and then like this is what's going to happen tonight. And and uh, I have no memory of that, but I've seen the video. And but I still am like that. Like a lot of people say that like weather is like some weird thing that you you know it's small talk if you can't think about anything. But for me, weather is like <laughs> this is not small talk. This is something I'm really genuinely interested in. Let me talk more and let me tell you more about it. <laughs> that is so true. It is <laughs> small talk if you can't think of anything. <laughs> but for me, I'm like yeah. this is actually what I'm what I'm like deeply thinking about, and I can go I can dive deep, and I, I just find that the ocean. And just being on bodies of water, weather has so much more of an impact. It's it's really it's really special because you get to see all these different faces of weather. If you're on land, wind from one direction versus yeah. another is kind of the same. It's just yeah. wind. Um, rain is it just makes you wet. But if you're on the water, you're usually very prepared to get wet. And then right. it rains, and rain is totally different. It changes the texture of the ocean instead it of having. It, Oh, to me, yeah. I find, and I uh, I look over time as I've learned how to fish more. I I, I look for rainy days. I yeah. fish in rainy days for a lot of reasons. There's nobody on the river. Mm-hmm. It's like in the winter fishing. There was nobody on the river. So people that can deal with the elements and it act, to me, I've had better luck, especially before the storm hits, before it rains. If the storm is coming, the, yeah, right, and you're, the, the pressure the pressure is lower. So that the, so the fish right they have those bladders and if the, if it's a high pressure, Whoa. it's painful for them to come up. They're not as active, so it's, it's a tough. But if it's a low pressure, the fish will come up and be more active because it's not as not as painful for them. And I'm guessing the ocean probably the same thing. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so fascinating. Yeah. And then when you go into surfing with with like those well, offshore and onshore, yeah, wind. and that totally completely changes. different. And offshore wind is. When the wa- when the wind is coming from the land to the water, and then onshore is the opposite. Yeah, when you have that offshore wind, it grooms the waves, and then when you see that like picturesque wave in your mind, if you just picture a wave, that's going to be that offshore wind where it's got that the hollow barrel part it's like of the wave. Like an ice wave. cream scoop. And then and then the wind blows onshore, and the waves are all crumbly. That's kind of your like classic Southern California afternoon. Stormy. Waves are mellow but crumbly, or in a big storm. And those two things change the... I, I like to say that the ocean has all these different moods. And those two huh. are like totally different moods. And there's, there's infinite moods, just like with a human. Feelings, all the feelings that a human can have. The ocean can have those too, and they're just represented in kind of like in a different way. But when you're out on the water, even if you're in a lake or a river, you can feel those moods. The water has emotion, for sure. And you can totally sense it and feel it when you're there. Uh, it can be overwhelming um, to sure. really like get that feeling and be in, in touch with it. But the more experiences you have with it, then you can start to, you know, you can go to the waterline and look at it and you can say, no, the ocean is is like angry today or it's mean today and I'm yep. it's not a day to go in the water. Yep. Or you get to it and you can, you're like, oh, it's just, it's full of energy, but it's this like, it's a, it's not a mean, aggressive energy. It's like, it's playful but powerful today and and then other days you're like this is the most it's so gentle and calm and like nurturing today and there's just all the emotions we have as a human the ocean can have those and other bodies of water even with like rivers you know lakes days where it's a day and they can turn on a dime it can and that's the weather and that's where i just i just love geeking out on weather 
and yeah. in the ocean because the weather can influence so much. Oh, it's interesting. Now, how have you felt with your fishing on different weather conditions? What was your what's your ideal weather condition to fish? I think it depends on where I am, um, and that will change it. But if I am off of the like Mendocino coast, um, I really like a, just a nice light north wind that just puts a little bit of texture on and the water. The north wind is coming from the north or it's going north? Great, yes. The north wind is coming from the north, blowing to the south. Um, and if you're like standing out on the ocean looking out, it's like that's blowing from like coming from your right going to your left uh, on the california coast there and you get out on the water and that huh. light texture huh. just kind of it takes away some of the sunburn factor for sure uh water with no wind worse sunburns in huh. your life uh, but you get that nice light texture and then uh, the wind creates current so you'll have a light current you have huh. strong wind you have really strong currents so you have that nice light current and for whatever reason, that seems to be pretty nice. If you have no current at all, the ocean is kind of stagnant, and you don't have the ocean has many different like bodies of water mixing. Um, it sounds confusing because you're like, wait, the ocean is just this one big mass of water, but there's all these like little blobs inside of the ocean, kind of like if you took a bunch of scoops of ice cream and put them in your bowl, like slowly they'll start to mingle and mix together and there's these swirls as they melt the ocean is a lot like that well you get the um, bottom you get the bottom formation the and those will those will help influence oh, the, so. the way the water moves sure but then there's just different blobs of warmer huh. water cooler water water okay. that's full of nutrients and those kind of mix and swirl and you kind of want to have that perfect light wind day to have it all mix just right and then the fish love it i would imagine too that there's probably like <clears throat> currents that are happening at different depths and temperatures um you know kind of the way i imagine like the yep. air in the sky moving you know you probably have like a whole section that's like you know maybe up to like a hundred feet and then you look you're looking pretty stoked about this yeah well that was something that i i have known fishermen who have fished their entire lives they're like 80 years old uh, even one guy who is a an aerospace physicist and then retired to become a fisherman, like a professional fisherman. And they didn't ever realize that the air, kind of the atmosphere, is similar to the ocean. And like you were saying, there's different cur currents and different movements at different depths. That is absolutely 100% true, um, just like the sky. And when you first started saying there were different currents, I was going to say, look up at the clouds and you'll be able to see that but that's a really good way on a day where there's a bunch of clouds at different heights if you look up you'll see different clouds moving at different speeds or even totally different directions yeah and that is so key in the ocean that's that's nutrient mixing that's like the cycling of fertilizer in a garden huh and in the ocean or in different bodies of water you have those currents moving different directions or different speeds and nutrients mix and it fertilizes the water and phytoplankton can grow and that's the start of the food web okay so a north wind light north wind choppy water currents are flowing light textured lightly textured lightly textured so foods changing things that the fish are seeking they're active what's your second best what do you look for to fish i'm going to oh today is going to be good that sounds like your primary what would be second second best just a little more wind. 
<laughs> a little more no. red, a little choppier, a little wavier. Yeah, I mean, or no wind. But nothing to but, do with rain? Um, where we're fishing okay. in Northern California, most of our fish live down a little bit deeper. So it wouldn't matter. So when you have that rain texture on the surface, it doesn't change things. But okay. if you go down to some like more tropical waters and the fish move up to the surface and they're really uh, fast moving fish, uh, then you get that rain and rain has a really cool effect because it makes the water surface ripply, but not the same ripply as wind. It's almost shimmery. That's a better way to describe it. It makes the surface of the water shimmery. Um, and this goes back to how Taylor was saying that water reflects light. Yeah. So when that surface is shimmery, it's reflecting light and all these like fast little like, blinks well, and twinkles. It, it reflects it on the surface, but it refracts it down In the water. through it. So I would imagine the fish's experience of it is like this whole other thing yeah because that's what you're doing as a fisherman you're trying to think like a fish right yep you're trying to understand what they're and when those fish see that refracted light all shimmery and weird underneath the water it mimics the same shimmery movement of a school of small fish bait Ooh. fish which the big fish want to eat and that makes the big fish that are swimming a little bit deeper that look up towards the surface in these like warmer tropical waters they kind of see, they perceive from that shimmering of light coming down, fish everywhere, all over the surface. And they come from down deeper and they move right up to the surface and they're all excited and ready to eat and they're looking for all these fish that are swimming around. But it's all just raindrops. And then you put your lure in the water and they think, oh, there's the fish. And they go and bite your lure. And it really helps to it increase does. the amount of fish up yeah. near the surface. Because they just, they see that shimmering and they're like... It's a feeding frenzy. I'm coming to the party. Would it be accurate to call this a fish disco? Yes, I think it would be for sure. They're all coming to the party. Dude, let's get down. What I've noticed too, on the, on the because I fish typically three to four feet of water, so it's very shallow. And when it starts to rain, the fish are protected protect from the predators, right? They don't have they don't have seagulls. They don't have the right ospreys. They can't see it because the water is the water. That's just Ellie feeding. Ellie the dog. Yeah, is Ellie the dog. Finishing up her food bowl. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's where, and like I've said, I've had my best instances of catching nice fish just as it starts to rain. Because now the, the fish get more active and they're protected because now predators can't see them. So yep. For me, that's a, I mean, fishing in the rain. Long as like his another rainstorm. I was off yeah. of uh, Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. I was out in a kayak Ooh. fishing right at the the Cape. I was sitting in the Atlantic Current, uh, and that's where the Atlantic Current and the Gulf Stream Current come and yeah. mix. The Atlantic Current moves huh. really slowly. Maybe it was that day. It was at like a half a mile an hour, nice and slow. The Gulf Stream Current moves like four to six miles an hour, really fast. That's a really fast moving ocean current. And in this weird place in Cape Hatteras in North Carolina, those two currents mix and they're moving in opposite directions. Huh. So there's literally this huge sandbar or this like point of sand that sticks miles and miles out into the ocean. It's what forms the Outer Banks. Um, they mix and I was sitting in the Atlantic Current and casting out into the Gulf Stream Current and the fishing was pretty bad. But this heavy rainstorm moved in and everybody else was casting off the beach. I was just—I was about 100 yards out in the kayak, just casting there. 
and heavy rainstorm moved in, and all of a sudden it went from no fish to Spanish mackerel everywhere, all around the kayak. I barely had to cast and reel them in. It was just, I, I just started uh-huh. just catching. I was just catching release. I was just like, oh my gosh, I got a couple for dinner, and now this is awesome. And wow. everybody on the beach wasn't catching a thing. There was nothing off the beach, and everyone was just watching me, just catching fish over and over and over again. But it was all because of that rain. And the rain didn't have the same effect in the surf zone where everyone was fishing. But out there That's really in the water. Bizarre. What do you think? Uh, I think it was that it just brought those fish up. It brought them to the surface. It just happened to be in that And they got spot. excited. Whereas the surf zone already uh-huh. is churning and mixed. Uh-huh. So there's a different okay. mo- there's a different movement. There's the waves yeah. are the kind of like the key defining movement of the surface texture of the water. Huh. And then outside of the surf zone where I was, then that key defining like movement mood to the ocean was the rain and the fish were they wanted to make a difference they joined the disco yep they joined the disco the it disco was on the disco's on yep. it's yep. All, it's, honestly it though i think that's fish. like a pretty good way to describe it uh disco balls are all those little shimmering mirror pieces yeah, right totally and that's exactly what is going on beneath the surface it's all this little shimmery ripple so would you say in your expert opinion that fish love to party um yes they love to party and then they love to eat yeah and if you have a party with food, there you go. They constantly eat. How many times I've caught fish where it's like, oh my goodness, there's like a, a small bass. When I bring it out, it's got a big mm-hmm. bass in its yeah in its mouth. Yeah, what? that's something that it'll blow your mind. No kidding. Where you you're like they just you keep... were so greedy. Yeah, <laughs> so greedy. You bit my hook after you already had your belly full. And your yeah. belly is so full that the last fish you ate is still, still in your mouth. Actually, maybe even hanging out past your lips. <laughs> and you're like, ooh, another thing to eat. Bam, I'm going to eat it. Bass are notorious wow. for that. Notorious. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a funny one with fish. Yeah, when, they, when they need to eat, when they want to eat, they just keep going. <clears> because <throat> then as the temperature of the water goes down, they get a little bit less. They get a little, and they're uh, not, they don't just eat when food is abundant or when it's around they definitely can choose you know i'm eating now and i'm not eating now yeah and that's something where you'll you'll catch fish that have uh at least where i am off of the off the west coast you'll catch fish some days and the fishing wasn't that good and you're right. catching these fish and all their bellies are empty uh, when you go uh, to like fillet them it's like really tight and there's nothing in there and you're like very interesting why uh, why is that and then you go on a good day, and all the fish's bellies are just full of all of these other little fish. And that's kind of a something that you kind of notice. It's really hard to recognize that and adjust as you're out there. And I don't know if there is anything you can do, because the fish might just not be hungry. They're just kind of not eating today. I've always wondered why and how fish can just turn on and turn off so quickly. Yeah, that's so another quickly. one. So quickly, not even from day to day, but from hour to hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it, on the rivers, what I found typically after lunch, 11, 12, as the, as the water warms up a little bit, I, I have better luck. Then all of a sudden, I could go for a couple of hours and not catch anything. And yep. the fishing areas, I mean, I fish this river all the time, so I know where they yeah. are. Yeah. No. Why are Why aren't they hitting? Why aren't they biting? And then when I maybe on the way back up the river, I'll throw a few lines and I'll be catching them. Yep. Same bait, just a different time of the of the day. Yep. 
That's kind of weird. weird for bass. That's the only species that I that I can really talk to. Uh, but you know, I, yeah. I wonder if ocean fishing is you know the rockfish are the same way. I don't know. Yeah, you're getting into all of a sudden you stop and put yeah. in the same area. Oh, yeah, it can totally it can totally do that. They can Just turn off and on. Tuna are notorious for that. Huh. Tuna, if someone catches a tuna or hooks a tuna okay. and loses the tuna, sometimes they'll just disappear for hours. And you can go back and forth. If you and lose a tuna. Spot. If one tuna but comes like off the, the entire The like entire school, school of fish what? will decide How smart are not tuna? to eat. But if you cape the I don't, tuna, if you catch like, the tuna... Can they communicate with each other and be like, hey, there's someone I'm sure out there trying to get us. fish can communicate in some sense, but if you go to like fish smartness, I think tuna are pretty low on the... Huh. The scale of like how smart so, they are. So why do you think that happens? Um, I don't know yeah. why. I don't. But know intelligence why. is different than smartness. So there's other fish like a salmon, who when you hook a, a salmon, they will, um, and, and then I think like bass too. They will open their mouth up and try to shake the hook out of their mouth. They'll deliberately try to hold their mouth open sure. and shake a hook out of their mouth. Whereas tuna. Will hold their mouth closed really tight, and then they'll just they'll just point their head down and try to like out out strength you. But then like the smarter fish will do these weird jumps and twists and try to get the hook out of their mouth instead of hold it in. And I think that maybe that's not a sign of intelligence, but I guess in terms of Instinct. in terms of a human perceiving the fish, it the way we perceive intelligence. Sure. I would say that's how it goes. A lot of it's instinct. Um, I mean, the, I, mean yeah. when I see a bass come out of the water. It's instinct to, for them to to shake, shake, shake the hook out. Mm-hmm. But then maybe the tuna are smarter because they all disappear. That part's weird. Whereas if you lose other fish, they don't just disappear. You have another opportunity. Oh, absolutely. So maybe, and and I'm sure they have forms of communicating. Fish have a really really cool thing called a, a lateral line. And that is, yes. it's a way that they can perceive electromagnetic stimulation in the water. So that's like, you that's have your nuts. muscle, it creates <laughs> electromagnetic current. Um, so like we have like a tiny, tiny little bit of electricity in our bodies when we move. And fish can sense that. And they can, I mean, it, it's kind of, we don't know how they visualize that like is it like a superhero where they have like this like x-ray vision and that's how they can see things and they also have eyeballs so they can see is it like scent what, what is that we don't know because we don't have that percept we don't have the ability to perceive that right but fish have that and they might also communicate through that a lot schools of bait fish if you've ever seen like like planet earth and you've seen the ocean episodes where the whole school of all these little fish is moving as one and yeah it, i mean that just yeah. looks like the most crazy artistic movement and all these fluid motions and no one ever goes out of sync with one another and they're not they're not like a an insect that's a hive mind organism it's all through some type of perception of those around them or some type of communication but is perceiving your like neighbor and your environment is that not a way to kind of communicate, even if it's not like verbally, or I don't know? They must communicate no. in some way. It's interesting you bring up the lateral lines, because trout fishing, what I'm learning is they could go. Th- they could if you step into the water and splash around, three hundred feet. Three hundred in the river. That's a football that's field. A long way. That's oh my god! Inconceivable for me. Yep. So. It's how important is it to approach a river or 
body of water, even your footsteps going in close to the road. So that's really interesting because yeah. like what that brings up for me okay. is that art, my practice of making art on canvas or on a wall. Okay. I'm using brush strokes. I'm going through this process. And if I'm in a bad mood, if something's huh. off, if I'm like, huh. you know, not centered, okay. then it's a whole different energy that I'm bringing to the canvas and to the, to the line, to the this, to the that. Um, whereas if I'm like very at peace or like at one with my everything in the moment, yep. then, um, you know, it's like, it's more clear and, and, and what I'm doing is more direct and, and it's just like sharper, better. Right. And everything. And like, that is a perfect, like as I mean, fishing is not uh, that far off from hunting, which isn't that sure. off, far off from surfing and all these things. Like they're all like, like if, like it's all a reflection of you and you know if you if you're fishing and you're not centered and grounded then you could you know you're gonna like splash around you're gonna you're not focused you're not it happens but, you know i'm thinking of like sure hunting 300 years ago where you're like you're just at one with everything like I, uh, do you guys do any sort of practices or elements of that of like trying to be like do you notice a difference of like how, of your state of being oh absolutely with, with it mm-hmm. absolutely you can tell right off it can tell right off when they get into the river or get on the lake or whatever if i'm not if i'm not focused my casting is i i, I catch a lot of tree fish <laughs> bunch and, of stick fish and it's a bunch <laughs> of stick fish and i, I notice and usually that happens it's more tired than mood because mm-hmm. usually when I get there, you fall into this oh, happiness yeah. place, right? But yeah. it's tiredness and when I lose focus and I start getting frustrated, I get a little tired and then I notice I'm, my casting ability. Okay, why, how come, how, why yeah. did I just do that, right? So it's part of what you're saying. The yep. tiredness definitely happens to me. Right? Yeah. If I'm doing a mural and it's a, it's a three-day mural and I'm on day two and a half and I'm exhausted oh. from this, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's I can I can start to like lose my be my tough. sharpness and then. So what do you do? What's your ineffective? What's your, what's your trick? Take some deep breaths. Yeah. Focus hmm. in. Take a break. <clears throat> but you stick with it. Oh yeah. I mean, like when the job's got to get done, the job's got to get done. So like. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. I like it out <laughs> when I'm kind of paddling out whether it's to go surfing or to go fishing just to use that moment to breathe and huh. think there you um, go. that's probably like the one part of a tour if you go on a tour with me that's probably the one part huh. that i don't talk all that much okay um and i'm just kind of i'm, be, I'm being present with the ocean and yeah. and just perceiving Bonded. it and looking around cool. and taking deep breaths smelling the ocean kind of like tasting the salt on the yep. air yep. and just getting do you tell your clients that? Um, no. No. I will every once in a while. Because huh. that's like, fucking awesome. Try to get agree, people to... Right? Like, oh, that's so yeah. cool. I'll try to get people to do it sometimes if we're, like, sitting yep. there. And, I think you should. Because some days, yep. it's just... The ocean is just... Perfect. You can literally taste it in yep. the air, and you can smell it, and you're like, wow, you guys. And I'll, I'll make them do it. And I feel usually people are like, oh, this is weird. And then they do it, like, wow, we really can. And then you just... You're energized. Different level. You totally, you sit there and you just breathe for a few moments and you're breathing this air that has oxygen that's literally just boiling up out of the water and you're kind of like 
almost getting high off of that. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh. That's awesome. I was tired. I didn't even finish my coffee. Had small breakfast, and all of a sudden, I am energized and ready to go. Didn't matter. And and then you can be creative. You know, you like you you take your lures if you're going fishing, and you pick which lure you're going to want to use. And and you go to the spot you're going to want to go, and Mm -hmm. you adjust Mm -hmm. a little bit. And and it's like in that sense, it's kind of like an art Mm -hmm. where you're just you're making it how you want to make it and how you want to adjust things, um, and like perfecting the way you're going to move your lure through the water or, or with surfing and each wave in surfing is like, it's like a fresh canvas, it's every, it's every, you know, and then it's a new depending on your mood yeah. and how you work on that, like yeah. paddle out when you're going to go surfing right? and you got in this like headspace where you're, you're feeling happy here. Maybe you're like frustrated with the day and you couldn't quite clear it out, but the way you're going to move on that wave, the, the wave is totally like a canvas. And but it's a canvas that kind of changes shape as you go, and the lines that you draw, or through your surfing, really exp- you can express so much emotion or feeling. You can make these really hard turns and aggressive, and try to make a bunch of spray across, and do weird things, or just have a fun in these nice flowy lines, and move around on your surfboard and goof yeah. off and laugh, yeah. yep. and. Let's Every single that. wave you surf is this this fresh new canvas, and you can kind of paint it however yeah. you want, trace whatever. And the results are always different. There. Yeah, sure, absolutely. It's all in the moment. And like Love fishing it. is fish, fishing has a lot of that too, where every day is different. The place you sure. go, the route you take, the places you look. You it's just this like fresh canvas every time you go out there. It's like a choose your own adventure too. Yeah, because like. Okay, option yeah. here at the beginning at the trailhead or at the beginning of the river, then you can go up or you can go down the river and like where do you want to go? Okay, we're going up. Now my options are this, that, and that. Boom, boom, boom. You just like choosing along the way. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So I get a question for you. Surfing. How'd you start? What brought your interest to surfing? Um Well, I always wanted well, I grew up snowboarding. Ah, and okay. like you know, in Colorado, that's right. That does help. Learned to ski first. My mom loves skiing. Okay, that's what brought her out west. And then, uh, and then, so yeah, learned how to ski. And then Cam and I learned how to surf or snowboard when I was like eleven. Wow. And then snowboarded a lot throughout the winters, um, all through the rest of like growing up. And then, hmm. and then at a certain point, I peaked. Huh. And I and it was either that I was gonna get a lot, have to get a lot more aggressive, and then a lot more is laid okay. on the line, or you know, like to to keep going further. You know, I was like I kind of like explored it all, and so then, um, but surfing was this thing that was like out west. But you're in Colorado. Yeah. So surfing. Well, and then and that also kind of I've always had like I wanted to go big with my life and in Colorado I also explored a lot of okay. and um, not that Colorado's not big there's plenty for people everywhere in Colorado sure. but um, the allure of California always had had me with like the surfing and the culture and the style and the flavor and everything so um, I got the opp- opportunity to go out west and I jumped on it. So what brought you out there? Uh, an old girlfriend. Was from there. Girlfriend. Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, her family, she was having some stuff that she needed to deal with, and so she wanted to move there. And I was like, I'm in. Because you were already motivated. Yeah. Sight. Yeah. Whereabouts yeah. did you move? Where'd you live initially? Basically, where we went, where uh, where we're at. 
Oceanside. Oh, oh perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you went right at it. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, her name was Michelle. Um, she's awesome. Her brother uh, Sean was a surf lifelong surfer, and so then he perfect. started taking me out. And then Sean's perfect. friend Angel and a couple other buddies, you know, they they would take me out occasionally, like all the time, and and they were pumped because I was pumped. Sure. And it was like, a reason to get yeah. out. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and then um, and then I met this guy at this. I was working at a restaurant when we first got out there, and his this guy Brad Perkett was my my good buddy. Or we got to know each other, and he'd lived in the area, and he'd always wanted to get into surfing, but he never did. And I wanted to get in. He uh, so we became Perfect. like surf buddies. So we started going out like four times a week, and just you know, oh like uh, all the mornings, and now we're just like we've been going surfing together for like 10 years and um it really helps to have a, a friend who is interested, was he the one that interested I to go watched surf with you or that uh, was a different guy maybe that was a different guy okay it is key though if you are going to start surfing to have the, oh yeah a friend or friends who are yeah. at a similar level to you yeah. and maybe a few who are more advanced than you yeah sure. um to serve with you though sure. but having that there's a safety factor. Too. Yeah, you have your person who's more advanced to kind of guide you along, give you some right. pointers here and there. But your friend is at the same level, so that because when you start off, you suck. It doesn't yeah. matter who you are. It's really hard. Yeah. No, surfing's surfing's the hardest thing that I've ever tried to learn because you basically get the shit kicked out of you uh, day in day out. I mean, it's always beautiful. And right, you can have those fun. moments like we were talking about. Yeah, where those it's moments. Like a moment where you see something that could even just change your life, and you didn't even have to serve a wave. All you were doing was floating in the water. And that right. is always there. It's what, it's what always. makes it worth it. It's what makes it worth it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if you can stay you focused get, on that. If you don't get that, then then so you're not coming work. back. Then it doesn't, no. then that doesn't work. No, so if you can focus on that right. and, and manage the... Um, the intensity that you're dealing with, with you know, by staying on yeah, mellow waves and that sort of thing, then you can get there, but it's the hardest thing. You, you're, I, the metaphor I always say is like you're trying to learn how to jump on top of the hood of a car coming at you at 20 miles an hour, wow. and if you're in the wrong spot, you get run over. It's good. Or hurt. Hurt. <laughs> it's good, or good. So, and then like, but then looking at that car isn't as easy as just seeing a car drive down the road. It's almost like. If you're looking at a sheet of music and you've never played music before, you have no idea what any of those notes mean. It's just total nonsense, and you're trying to guess what it means. And at first, you really have no idea. And people can kind of tell you a little bit about what the notes are, but there's no... The ocean always breaks every single rule you put on it. So if someone tells you, this is what that means, the ocean, on the next moment it has... It'll prove that person wrong, absolutely. And they're like, you know, what do you mean? You said that wave was going to do this. And you're like, I'm sorry. This is the ocean here. <laughs> and no two waves are ever going to be the same. No. And, and that's, uh, that's the other challenging aspect of it, is that you have to like, learn to read the music on your right. own, and that music is a car moving 20 miles an hour trying to run you over. That's, that's interesting. So, <laughs> I'll stick to fishing. I'll stick to fishing. But when you... Finally learn how to read that music. I'm sure. Well, you, I don't know if you ever stop learning how to read the music. You just no, get a little bit better and better and better. You don't. Right. But I, yeah. it starts to become so special and rewarding. And just another excuse where maybe you were at the ocean and the waves were too big to go fishing. Yeah. But they were perfect to go surfing. And then if it's flat, no surf, well, fishing. then you get to go fishing. Life is good. Life is good. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> oh, this is great.
How you guys' Mas Verdes tasting? This is this is a delicious. If you can come find <laughs> this, this beer, really I've good. looked in Northern California every time I've gone into a store for the Mas Verde from River Roost. Not so much. Find them. No. They don't hey River Roost, York. you uh, you start shipping them out out west, and you can be the sponsor of this can, podcast. I would love to have you guys. They're such a small outfit. They're really. I mean, like I don't. I can't get it here in New York. I have to go to Vermont. Wow. Right? Maybe they yeah. can ship to SoCal. Yeah, then, we can uh, skip the middle. <laughs> I'll do a little commercial for them at halftime. Yeah, good. they've All got right. it dialed, but yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I'd just love to like throw a, throw a softball up to you for is um, I'd love it if you talked a little bit about the night sky. Oh, because the sky. One of the coolest things about the Baja trip was that, well, one, there's no light pollution at all. And then, like, you look up, and it it was the, like, most beautiful night sky I think I've ever seen. And then really, really was you just... You say that. Yeah, I mean, and, wow. and I've been some places that wow. there's no light. I'm thinking, and, yes. And then we got Billy here, and he's just like, oh, okay, so that is the Andromeda galaxy. That's the <laughs> only thing that you can see in the night sky. But, in fact, you have to look away from it slightly to even see it. And we're like, holy shit, that's he's another right. galaxy. He's yep. right. And, and then, like, go. You just went off from there. That's cool. Yeah, it's so. I love looking up in the night sky and into the stars. There's so much. And you got that out laser there. pointer. Yeah, I got a good laser pointer, <laughs> so you can really just pinpoint out any individual star or galaxy or or weird nebula, all sorts of different things. Um, but there's so much in the night sky. I mean, that is especially without light pollution. Right. It's amazing. That's, and there's so much to know. Each mm-hmm. a lot of stars you look at when you look up aren't actually a star but they're multiple stars they're like binary mm. or tertiary star systems where you have like two or three stars that make that star um and and then there's all these constellations and then the mythology behind the constellations is really cool and that's something that i'm i'm also fascinated in because i, I love telling stories and then you can be outside at night and you look up and you see these constellations and there's really great mythology behind them and you can tell a story from like old greek mythology about this these gods who did this or that and and the stories are just kind of up there in the sky and it changes throughout the year which is something that i think a lot of people don't really realize you like look up in the sky see some stars look down you're like cool and then you look up six months later see some stars look down cool there's still stars there but those stars six months out are totally opposite. So the stars you were looking at six months ago are now the ones that are out during the daytime, and the ones that were out, you know, it, it, it flip-flops back and forth. So over a year, the stars will cycle in the sky. And um, I might have originally gotten to the stars from, like, Polynesian wave or wayfinders who would navigate across the Pacific using that's, stars. That's crazy. And and the movement yeah. of waves. <laughs> oh, but you're, you're, I mean, thousands of miles between landmasses. Could you hypothetically be out on a boat and then navigate just by stars? Like, let's um, say you were stuck out there. I'm sure you could figure it out. I think I could do an all right job of it. Uh, it's when it gets, like, cloudy and then you're just, like, feeling wave movements. I'd, I mean, I, I'd like to think I would do all right. But I haven't put myself to the test. And I am, I have no doubt that, like, the most mediocre Polynesian Wayfinder would just absolutely 
destroy any of my navigation skills in the stars. Are they still going? Are they? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. No, there's really cool. There's voyages. Um, I think there's like annual voyages, if not more frequent than that, um, from like different different islands and different cultures who will send just like a. and, And nowadays it's. It's not the same as it used to be. It's more of like a, a respect to the culture and your like your ancestors to use no technology, hand build a boat, bring um, people or like bring a crew of people out onto the boat and to navigate and sail across the ocean. Um, no technology, just using That's crazy. old wayfinding practices. And yeah, that's how Hawaii was. Yeah, has like, like the, the discovered right? by people. Yeah, yeah. No technology, no no huh. compasses. Just using waves, using uh, stars, using the animals in the ocean to be like, oh, land. If that bird we saw flying from that direction, yeah. that Whoa. increases the probability yeah. of land being in that direction because that bird has to land. That bird is not an open ocean bird. Let's move yeah, that way. There have been some crazy times where. I was surfing, and uh, all these like little white butterflies that are like the size huh. of half dollars huh. were flying at me from the west. Like, oh, wow. Like tons yeah. of them, one after another. Huh. I was wow. like, and they're spaced out by like 30 yards or something. Every there'd be like one be here, and then like two minutes later, another one. What's that all about? Where are you coming from? Where's yeah. that all about? What? We had out in the ocean. I had a really in cool the moment. ocean. I had a really from cool the west. Moment. I was out. That's you guys for, Hawaiian? Yeah. Are you farther? That's it wild. is. Animals can get lost from from winds, winds sure. or different um, like air of humidities. Like animals might follow that out into the ocean, and then that massive air, kind of like currents in the ocean, that little massive air gets cut off, and then they find themselves stranded in the ocean wow. and they have to find their way back and a lot of them don't a lot of even even birds i have i had one time a couple of years ago we went 25 miles out into the ocean wow. and 25 miles 25 miles out and while we were out there there was this little bird flapping around a little wilson's warbler which is like a bird that lives in bushes and shrubs on land not a long flying bird it's like the size it's smaller Tiny than a little black bird. it's like the size of little sparrows or if you're like in a restaurant or something yeah, and there's yeah. like the little birds in the yeah. patio those little brown birds it's like that size tiny little bird flying 25 miles up. the thing was exhausted it kept landing up on top of like the poles on our boat not the fishing rods but like we have these bigger poles and ropes and things and it was landing <laughs> up there and taking a break and then would fly away and we were like trying to guide it back towards oh. land as we were going in and it would like disappear for a little while and then come back to us and we were like oh yes it's coming and we were getting closer and closer to the coast and then like sure enough we're like 10 miles out and the bird is still like coming and going getting closer to us landing on the boat again resting we made it all the way in and when we were about two miles from the coast the bird got really comfortable with us and instead of like flying away from us and coming and landing and taking a break it dropped down to the deck and started landing on things in the deck and then started landing on us <laughs> it landed on my hat my dad was trying to take a with photo it on you with it on me it was just sitting on my hat my dad was going to take a photo of the bird on my hat and he got a couple photos and then it flew over and landed on his phone 
And then I got a photo of the bird standing on his phone while he's taking a photo of me. And then it was, and then it flew and like landed in the cabin of the boat. It was just chilling out. And we're like, we were like 15 minutes from the beach, and we're like, wow, this is amazing. We like this bird. Save the bird. This bird is all the way out there. And then it was landing in our hands. No. And we were just holding it in our hands. So thankful. It was so thankful. And and then it, uh, we got inside the Cove and Point Arena, right where I like kayak out of, and we kind of like went out of the cabin, and the bird was in our hands, and the bird saw the land, flew off, and made it. Whoa! That's, cool, That's a cool story. Cheers to that. It was really cool. That's we, really we were even playing to call it back to us once we identified the bird. I uh, used like the Autobahn Bird app and was playing its call, like trying to make it feel comfortable with our boat, and uh, kept playing that for a little while, and it, it worked. Good job! Wow! That is, how cool is that? <laughs> top that! Yeah, I can't. Top. That. There's no topping. No that. topping. That's that. amazing. That's pretty cool. Amazing. And it was just like so thankful. And the bird was just right landing sure on us. It is just a yeah. bird. It landed on. It landed on everyone on the boat. And you're like, what? Wow. <laughs> there's some of the, there's what a magical some, like The most detailed photos I have of any bird. Cindy would have. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. We were all so, we were all so happy. It's a cool feeling. I mean, Man. a, a tell you how connected totally... to nature you are. Yeah. You, to, for you to recognize that situation. Yeah. And then just to appreciate it and make it happen. Really cool. That is really neat. That tells you a lot. Yeah, to be connected to. To be like, connected. You know, yeah. to, to feel a connection with, with an animal like. Uh, I feel like there's different ways of looking at nature. There's ways of looking at it like it is a thing. It's like an object, and these are objects and whatnot. And then there's another way of looking at it like these are all living beings. Yeah. That are just like, like that yeah. birds. Like that's that was like a story. person on a life raft, life raft right. out. In yeah, the of the right. And you just like came by. Like, yes. And he's like, oh my god, they, thank he you. or she. Yeah, or they are it or whatever. That's right. really cool. absolutely no. It's neat that your dad. That, that doesn't surprise me. How connected? <laughs> oh yeah, no, he definitely likes. Oh, yeah. he definitely likes to. Oh, okay, okay. We go over like butterflies. The butterflies. Yeah, every once in a while you find the butterfly, and he'll like, if it lands in the boat, he'll try to like get it, get it, and put it in the cabin, shoot it <laughs> in the cabin, be like, what are you doing? Bring it back home. You're way too far away. You're gonna get eaten by fish. Oh, no, for sure. <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay, there's one more thing I want you to talk about. Tell the humans that are listening to this podcast. They've, they've made it this far. Tell them about blue whales. Ooh, Ooh. Blue whales. Blue whales are amazing. They live out off the coast. Um, and they are the largest animal to ever live on Earth. And when I say ever live on Earth, Earth I mean like go back to the dinosaurs Nothing was as big as that. Go back farther than that, nothing was as big as that. There's never been an animal on this planet that was larger than a blue whale. Is that because they're warm-blooded and they live in the ocean? So they have all the advantages of the ocean, but they're also warm-blooded so they can survive the cold? Excellent question. Dinosaurs, I would think like a plesiosaurus is probably huge. Or like any of those like ocean-swimming brontosauruses, basically, but they would have been so, cold-blooded, maybe? one reason... I don't know about the cold-blooded versus warm-blooded, um, but one reason why blue whales have been able to grow to be so large is that in the water, uh, gravity doesn't have such a strong effect on you. Yeah. So if that animal was on land, its bones... Like, if a blue whale was on land, its bones would have to be so absurdly large to support that much weight... 
and its heart and its whole circulatory system would have to be so over it just absurdly huge which it is already a blue whale's heart's the size of like a volkswagen bus it's like six feet tall so it's huge it's like it's not it's no small thing but if we were to go on to land it would have to be larger and that kind of whale if you take a blue whale and you put it on a beach it'll it'll suffocate itself under its own weight it'll like it'll literally it can't breathe it's too heavy it doesn't work no so wow um, and the oceans have been there for a long time. I mean, even like during Pangaea, we had a larger ocean than we have now. So I don't know exactly why they didn't come beforehand. Uh, maybe things just slowly evolved from something very small to something larger. But I'm just speculating, hypothesizing at this point. Um, maybe warm blood it has something to do with it. But blue whales—they're uh, so—they're—they uh, can grow up to be like 110 feet long. Um, that's almost. Three school buses. Generally, we say they're like two school buses. School bus is about 45 feet. So it's like two to three school buses long. Um, like I said, heart the size of a Volkswagen bug. Size of a little car. It's like bigger than a Fiat. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah. It's huge. Huge. You could sit in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No problem. You can tell your friends in it. I mean, probably with the chambers that are in there, you could like hang out and be quite comfortable. Around. Yeah. Uh, but and then uh, one thing that I was recently telling Taylor about is the moment you see a blue whale and it doesn't have to be the first time it could be the hundredth time it never ceases to amaze you an animal so big when they come up to the surface and they break the surface of the water and then they just start their body starts hitting the surface and it doesn't hit all at once so the head comes out of the water first most often sometimes it's somewhere in the middle of the back wheel but a lot of times the head comes out of the water first and not all the way but just the top of their head and then the body starts going by and it keeps going by and it keeps going by and it keeps going by and you're like wow this is a huge animal and it keeps coming up to the surface and it keeps going by and you're still like wow how is it just it's getting longer and longer and longer and, and you're blown away. And then all of a sudden this like humorously small tail near the back third of it. So you've already seen like 70 feet of whale swim by. And then this like tiny little tail pop, or a, a little fin, not a tail. This little fin pops up and then it keeps going for another 30 feet. And then there's the fluke, the back fin. And you're just, you're just shocked. Wow. An animal that big. And then... The movements they make are so slow and so graceful, but they're amazingly quick. They're or fast, maybe not quick. They definitely don't do any fast turning, but they're just moving very fast through the water. It's a lot like a submarine. I mean, I've never, I've never really seen a submarine when I'm out on the water, or not really. I never have. Um, but I imagine that a blue whale coming to the surface and making this big splash as they hit, and then they keep going by. I imagine that'd be something like seeing this huge submarine cruising through super powerful, unstoppable amount of power. Right. right. And it just, it kind of takes your breath away. And you never, I don't know if you can ever get used to it. You yeah, see it, not. I've seen it so many times. <laughs> and every time, the moment, you oh, whoa, look at it. Look at the whale. Blue whale, it's a blue whale. And then it just, it keeps going and going and going. and. Boy. I, mean, I didn't think you, we could top, but it looks like we're topping that. <laughs> <laughs> wow! All you do is you see him breathe. You see the you see an animal breathe, <clears throat> and you're like breath's taken away, and you're just shocked. What did he eat? 
<laughs> what do they eat? They must eat. Oh yeah, they all eat all the time. They eat all these little tiny, you know, little fish, krill, stuff that's so small, like sardines. You get a can of sardines, that's perfect whale food. Or like shrimp, that if you got the shrimp krill or like tiny, tiny little shrimp, and if you got those shrimp served like to you in a salad, yeah, you'd be, like krill you'd be so tiny. bummed. They're like the they're size like, of maybe like the first knuckle really on your finger, it. but that's how long they are, so they're really skinny. They're like almost as thick as like your phone charging cord or something. Just this little tiny skinny shrimp wow and they just feast on those and a weird thing whales throats are like roughly the size of a grapefruit maybe a little larger for a blue whale but maybe it's like a basketball um but that's its throat for an animal it's a hundred feet long so they can't they can only swallow all these little things and they just just. and it's right so how'd that happen why is the throat that small (laughs) <laughs> they don't need it any big. They don't. Any they, they they're not predators. They don't have. Uh, That's crazy. They don't have teeth. They have uh, baleen, which is it's almost okay. like their mustache is, you know, in their mouth. They got a big mustache, and they they hold their mouth open. They pull everybody in. They then push all the water out with their tongue through their mustache, using it as a filter, and then they swallow everything that's in there. And really quickly, if they feel something is big in their mouth, they'll spit it out. So you can actually like go online. You can find every once in a while, like a diver or someone in like a boat or something will get get into the mouth of a whale. That's happened. It has happened, <laughs> and they're fine. They're fine because the whales will swallow swallow whatever it is they caught. If they're if they're catching it on the surface, blue whales are generally deeper, but maybe like a humpback whale. If they swallow something in the surface, or if they get it in their mouth at the surface, they'll try to swallow it there. And they'll quickly be like, "Well, there's something big in here. I'm going to spit this out." What about sperm whales, though? Those are different. Ah, uh, those are toothed whales, That's and those a whole are different. Um, are there uh, sperm whales in the Pacific? There are sperm whales in the Pacific. They're not very common uh, in along the north coast or the north coast of Mendocino, where I am. Uh, they're a little bit deeper water. Um, sometimes they're farther south, but they can dive are. like two miles down. Yeah, That's sperm what the whales. Whole point of their head is are really wow. impressive. I actually wow. one time when I was in Baja, um, I was talking to this uh, this whale researcher, and he was doing a study on whales, and they wanted to they were attaching like probes to them to see like how deep down they went and measure get all this data from the whales, and they were using these like it was like a spearhead with barbs that they kind of jammed into the whale and it detached and the probe was speared into the whale and they wanted to be kinder to the whales so they were like we're going to use a suction cup apparatus instead of the spear and when they spear the whales nothing happens they don't flinch nothing they just kind of swim back down and they said when they were doing this and they were doing it with sperm whales Mm -hmm. when they put a suction cup on a sperm whale they would freak out and thrash and hit the boat and they were shocked because it that didn't really make sense like stabbing the whale versus suction cupping the whale you think the stab bigger impact than the suction cup their hypothesis they they didn't get a chance to study it but uh, they were guessing that it's because uh, one of the main prey of a Ah, a squid and sometimes really large squid like giant or colossal squid which can which are you know massive and could potentially be 
harmful to a sperm whale. That was a trauma trigger. Exactly. <laughs> so they thought that, and they they didn't they couldn't <laughs> test it. They couldn't. They don't know for sure. They felt but, it. It was like, get but the yeah, fuck their off. their best guess was that <laughs> that crazy. was similar yeah. to the suction cup of a squid. So yeah. when they put the suction cup on them, it, it yeah got that like trauma trigger of oh squids on me, and they thrash and get away from it. Versus Whoa. the spear point, or not it's not really a spear. It's like a little tiny, more like a, a barbed knife kind of thing. They're like they might not even felt that. Poke it in, and their blubber layer is really thick, and they they probably didn't really feel it. So they stopped using the suction cup, <laughs> which funny. wasn't supposed to be better, right? You would think, but no. <laughs> Wow, a pretty a pretty interesting one. But sperm whales, I don't know. I don't know the deal with them. I, I, I try not to get swallowed by a sperm whale. Yeah, don't get don't do that. I don't think they'd spit you out. And that's some Moby Dick stuff, right? Killer whales or orcas, though. You see them in Mendo? Yes, they're really they're they're an amazing thing. There's no resident pods. There's uh, those would be pods that live in that area. Right. There's transient pods, and there's a transient pod that. That travels through, and you'll see them a couple times a year. So you could never like predict it, but they're there. Amazing to see. But a cool fact about orcas is that there are zero recorded attacks of orcas and humans in the wild. What? Zero. An orca has never. They've, they've never recorded an orca attacking a wow. human in the wild. You put an orca in a pool. Yeah. And there's attacks all the time. Sea world. Yeah. So. Kind of an interesting thing. These yeah, no trainers, no humans have ever really like had direct interactions with them. Um, no attacks. Wow. You go put them in a pool, and they attack. Yeah, they get all fucked up. They because they need the entire ocean to swim around. Yeah, it's a whale. I mean, it'd be like, huh? Be like yeah. putting a human in serves us right in it? like a relatively small right. living room, yeah. and being like, stay here forever. I've heard that. Uh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I've heard that ocean or that uh, whales, dolphins, orcas, all these, these are the descendants of ancient wolves and bears that did a lot of work in the ocean and then just like stayed out there because there's tons of food and tons of fish and everything like that, and that like like orcas are basically like fully evolved like ancient bears. Yeah, I think it's like, huh. and it goes back because it's they not hunt so well together. You know, you look at the way that wolves interact with each other, and it wasn't like a bear that became the orca or 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 like some other type of mammal, but it was their common ancestor. Right. So it was someone who was similar, who wasn't. We wouldn't yeah, see yeah, them yeah. today okay. and, and be like, "That's a bear" or "That's a wolf." We'd be like, "Whoa, what is that animal?" But that animal branched off to evolve into both like bears, wolves, dolphins, orcas sperm whales and and probably other whales as well which is just this kind of amazing thing to think about there was like there was a common ancestor back in the day who started tide pooling essentially and like eating out of the tide pools and then swimming out into the water a little bit and then split i always like thinking about like who's the next animals on the planet right now are definitely evolving and adapting but it's such a slow process sure like what what do we have today that's going to branch off and become this like if we were to think we were like whoa the parrot is going to become right you know like what what right. you know 10 million years it's going to be or like the squirrel what's the squirrel going to be it's going to have <laughs> two common ancestors one of them is is like a fish and we don't even recognize it anymore from being a squirrel and the other one has wing it's like a winged mammal 
Yeah. Sure. Whoa. Sure. Totally. But who knows? Evolution. Crazy yeah. thing. They're going to stop. Oh, no. They're going to stop. That's well, idea. hopefully not. Hopefully people don't mess up too much. Well, I was just going to, um, while you were saying that, back in my mind, all the chemicals we use in the, in the world. Oh, we gosh. Farming and things and sprays and three-eyed fish, like Simpsons. Salt on the roads. I know. we got to go after that. That's making a big difference in the world we live in. <laughs> we had a big conversation about this the other night. We're going to stop salt on the roads. Yep. Yep. All right, gentlemen. I think we did it. Did it. Yep. Awesome. Excellent. Good job, Taylor. Cheers. Excellent Love podcast. It. Good job. Great job, Joy. Great job, Mo. Uh, listeners, thanks for following us along this far. This has been a blast. Uh, any final words of wisdom? Enjoy life. Life is what you make of it. Yeah. Get outside and go breathe. Whether it's raining, snowing, sunny, cold, hot, just go breathe some outside air. Yeah. There you go. Just take a take a breath. Taste it. Smell it. Listen to the things you can hear. And just sit there for a moment and be present. I like that. I'm gonna say see if you can just make things better than they are. Just keep on going. Do your do your small part. A little bit at a time. You know, sometimes you get big opportunities, sometimes it's something really small. Yeah. Make yep. it better. Good yep. call. Well done. All right. Cheers. 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 Thanks Cheers. for having us on. <laughs> Hell yeah. So that's it. That's the Art and Life podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and listening. Hope this is inspiring your life and your work in awesome ways. If you want to check out my art, and my offerings like fine art prints and cool merchandise with my art on it, jump over to my website. It's taylorgallegosart.com. And you can also follow me and connect with me on Instagram and LinkedIn. So thanks. Till next time.